This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. The Jason Kavnis Experience is sponsored by Kavnis HR. Kavnis HR delivers HR to companies with 49 or fewer people across the United States with our platform that automates HR products and services while giving you access to a dedicated HR business partner for more complicated HR challenges. Small business loses an estimated $10,000 per employee per year because of unreliable HR. Small business owners are spending an average of 25% of the time on HR, time that would be better spent taking care of their people, their customers, and building their business. Cavernous HR saves small business owners time and money on, on their HR. Sign up at www.cavernousHR.com or email me at jasoncavernous at cavernousHR.com to learn more. Cavernous HR, focus on your business. We've got your HR. Hello. Welcome to Jason Cavernous Experience. I'm your host, Jason Cavernous. Here at Cavernous HR, we're doing a crowdfunding campaign on Refunder. And we're looking for early investors. To learn more, go to refunder.com slash cavernousHR. Our guest today is Michael. Michael, ready to be great today? Yeah, we're ready to be great. So, so random topic. You're just talking about your your um, social media person, and what's the name of the, the city? Oh, she's down in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. So, I have a good friend, John Neff, that is down there. I'm actually going there for a week in January to stay with him. Oh well, we've got to connect you with Jerry. Yeah, yes. yeah that'll be awesome. Yeah, he's been like like he's been like a year and a half, and I finally broke down by my ticket to go down there. Right. All right. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Did you f- uh, find you had to travel less during the COVID, or did you, you know what? I tried my ass off during COVID. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. like, no one's on a plane, no one's in the line, mm-hmm. you know, like, it was, it was the greatest thing ever. Like, people yeah. are like, how are you traveling? You didn't get COVID. From who? Yeah, no one's like, there. There's, there's no one here, right? It was, it was Well, they're insane. there now. Yeah. They're there now. So. Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. I always joke around, not really joke when I travel, like, you want to see the worst of humanity, go to the airport <laughs> or go to plane, right? <laughs> the things people do, it's like, so, like, asinine, right? Like, how the worst one was, I was on a plane. And this lady had put some of the overhead over storage, right? And you can tell it was like some kind of fragile, right? Mm-hmm. This guy came back and was like telling his stuff. Is, she, so she went back to the bathroom. She came back. This dude was like, pushed his big ass bag over it. And you just hear that. Right, crushing it. And we're like, what in the world? And of course, she goes batshit crazy, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. It's, it's hard being in the seat waiting for the plane to fill. And you're watching people come in. And if you're one of those, you know, pe- type of people who cares about everything working right, it sends you into overdrive. You know I know. What I mean? And so you just have to kind of tune it out. You have to go, no, no, no. You know, somebody else's problem. I can't, I can't fix the world all at once. Yeah, it's almost like you should like take one of those um, uh, Valiums or something, right? Just calm <laughs> you down, you know, like, okay, yeah. I, I have no control over this, you know, like. Okay. Yeah, I got to let go. I got to let go. It's tough though, man. Yeah. And this is like, probably seems shitty, but like driving me crazy too. Like you're on a plane, right? Mm-hmm. And someone will say, the, the stewards will come, hey, do you mind trading seats with these other people? You know, so the family together. I'm always like, probably like, okay, I'll be nice. Or mm-hmm. like, are you kidding me, right? Like, mm-hmm. you can plan better. You just add the cheapest tickets and, and you're going to, you know, assume people's good intent or whatever. Well, you know, the golden age of travel ended, what, 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. So that was the golden age is what we originally envisioned in our heads when we think of travel. 
but that is not true anymore. Now no. it's a Greyhound bus in yep. the air. It is. And a Greyhound a bus is, is a race to the bottom, right? What's the lowest price I can offer with the most routes I can service? Oh, and then it gets me too. Like when someone asks you to trade seats, and you know you're a decent seat, right? You post your hour, right? Mm -hmm. And you're sitting by, you know, the two kids, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I don't sit by these two kids, so yeah, I'll, I'll trade with the mother, whatever. Right. And then you go back, their seat is like the middle aisle, the very back row. Yeah. The seat's sticking out like this. Uh, you know, come on, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta sweeten the deal or something, right? Right, right. Like, yeah, I don't, no. like, I don't be a jackass, but I don't want to fly 20 hours or whatever the case to be, you know? I totally get it. There's a balance between being a good guy and being, you know, in acceptable shape when you arrive at the other end. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm actually taking a trip on Friday. Okay. I'm going to Vietnam for 10 days. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Never been there before. All right. Well, you're still available Thursday, so I'll yeah. try to get you yes. into our event. Yes. So, Michael... What do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you do a startup, you better like doing a startup for fun because it's all you're doing. Um, and I've been passionate for the topic for about eight years. Mm -hmm. So if you're asking me what I do in that, I'll, I'll answer that. But if you want to know fun outside of the startup, yeah, I'll, I'll do that too. But yeah. it's, it's a small fraction compared okay. to startup. So what do you think? Uh, both. <laughs> both. Both, yeah. So about eight years ago, I was uh, looking at the state of everything um, in the industry that I worked in, which was software and social, and I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. And I felt like I'd help contribute to make it happen. I worked at Disney.com in the early days. I worked in online education. I, you know, I'd done a bunch of stuff. And I decided I tried to work on one problem, which is how does a large, large number of people actually be productive with what they say, right? Like, Instead of a social media that divides us, can we get a social media that unites us, right? And uh, I started working on that problem eight years ago. And the way I worked on it is I would talk to people, just like you today. I would have conversations, I'd talk about the topic, and I'd get to understand better how conversations work and how could an AI or some kind of technology help with that. And I've been on that pursuit now. And just in the last eight months, Koala came out of that. I finally met some people who were thinking about the same thing. And so we formed a company and now we got a product. Pretty exciting. So that brings up an interesting question. From your point of view, is tech, how does, is tech values based? Is tech doing the right thing over and over again? Or is it more like, like tech, like it's just profit driven and, you know, driven by greed, so to speak. All right. So tech today may be perceived as being profit driven, but tech is about tech. Tech loves tech. All of the people who built the original internet, all the people who built this That's your bottle of water oh, right there. thank you very much. Um, all the people who built the original internet, everything, it's just a deep passion for seeing how far software can go, how far computing can go, right? Um, and that's the base of everything. However, yes, because we've become hyperscalers and we've become, you know, basically the backbone of a lot of things, um, there is a um, a pressure that the people who care so much about technology are feeling to get back to what's good for society, right? Uh, the measure of success in the future can't just be how much money did you make? Um, but a company is a company and a company has to make money. So that's the balance. Yeah. So what's your take on this, right? So I think most people that think I would take those, see like no websites built, iPhones, they see everything's like working okay, right? Working well. Mm -hmm. But in reality, just my opinion, in reality, you go to the background, most websites, most platforms, it's like, it's pretty good about duct tape, right? Like one developer does this in code, they build up tech decks, someone else fixes it. 
it's almost like all the tech in the background is like back ends like duct taped together, right? And it's like almost like bullshit. Like people go out there getting the money. What do you think about that? Yeah. So you brought up an interesting concept, and there's actually a a study of that. Um, what you just described is called uh, a simple complex system versus a complex complex system. So like nature is a complex complex system. Our bodies are complex complex systems, right? But a simple complex system is a complicated software app. Uh, there's a famous story from AT&T, Bell Labs. You know, when you pick up the phone, oh, people don't pick up the phone anymore. <laughs> Back in the old days, they used to pick up the phone and they'd hear a dial tone, right? And then you dial the numbers and you connect the call. Um, that code, those instructions that tell the system what to do when a call comes in, it's huge. Uh, that is a simple, complex system. And one of the things that happened was the researchers at Bell Labs created a, a, an isolated environment. And they isolated some code, some instructions in that, that they knew was never called. These instructions never get called, no matter what kind of call is happening, right? And they removed the instructions and the system started failing. That's the thing about a simple complex system. Complex complex systems can have points of failure and then they kind of accommodate for themselves. They kind of figure out a new way forward. Simple complex systems crash catastrophically. And the rate at which we're evolving technology, the rate at which we're inventing it, it's just too fast. We can't build super reliable yet. Um, we try, especially when it's making a lot of money, but there's always a spaghetti factor. Okay. So we're going to do a deep dive on AI later, but first, like, this is my concern with AI, right? Of course, AI is going to come, do what it's going to do, right? Mm -hmm. But someone has to code the AI initially. How do we make sure we have, like, good values-based people you know, coding AI correct, like, like, and not some psychopath and the code AI, like to read minds or, you know, something like the scariest things people are talking about. How do you control that? Well, what, so we live in a market-based world right now. And that market-based world says that whichever function makes money and makes a service that people want to consume first, that's what's going to define the AI, right? So if you want to protect the future, if you want the future of AI, to be a good one, then we have to work on applications that sell today, but that establish a basis for hearing diverse voices, allowing our algorithms to evolve over time to reflect the demographics and, and, and uh, values of the people who it's reflecting, right? This is not impossible stuff, but if there isn't a, mo a, a, a profit motivation, it won't happen. And so your concerns are valid, and we all want to create an environment where the best case happens, not the worst case. But right now, it's just too complicated and moving too fast for us to actually understand it all, or at least I can't. Maybe somebody out there can. But um, So what we have to do is just think about what are the functions that allow a whole society to listen, be listened to, to be heard. Because at the end of the day, the society we have today it's based on 19th, 18th, 17th century. I mean, you know, it's the old way of communicating ideas and values. Yeah. So I had a, a VC on the podcast a little while ago. He does like deep tech stuff. He's talking about the one that community look at like in, in they're, they're looking investing in. I would know what you have, but basically like what they do, they they um they're able to like take your brain cells and nervous systems and like, you know, increase the happiness, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he said he questioned for them was like, what happened if you sell someone and they figure and they like increase like torture or pain, you know? Right. Use it for nefarious reasons. Like, you know, what if you're like 30 years from now, you made all this money, 
does a good product, you know, help people out. But then you find out, you know, bad people got a hold of it, right? And yep. use it for bad things. Like, how, how do you balance that? I mean, it's, it's hard it, to do, I think. Uh, yeah, the genie's out of the bottle, as they say, right? Um, you can't stop AI from advancing. If, if we try to stop it in one place, it advances in another place. Um, I think the people who care need to lean in. They need to lean in and understand a little bit better how do AIs learn? How do AIs evolve? What is it that we're doing today? And what is it that a happy, good society, a, a productive society would care about in the future? Yeah, another thing too, I think the one is really like looked into, like I saw a, um, a video somewhere like this robot with bathroom cleaner, right? Mm -hmm. so that's like all those jobs gone, right? Yeah. And what are we doing? Like, are we going to do like, you be a universal basic income to replace people's income? Or like, what are we, you know, like people are depending on those jobs, you know, Someone said, like, you no know, truckers might be gone a few years because, you know, truckless, you no know, drivers, semis, right? That's like 200,000 people out of, out of work. That's at a food, significant right? percentage and of like, the workforce. And, like, yeah. and like, who's, like, solving that problem, you know? I mean, because, like. I am. I like, <sighs> I'm solving that. Great. What we're talking about today is the solution for all those truckers. Okay. 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 And because, like, a lot of people, of course, they get the south to work from working, right? You know what kind mm -hmm. of job it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Janitor, truck driver. Like, yep. you've been driving a truck for 20 years. All of a sudden, like, you can't. I don't know. Make money. Yeah. Yeah. Can't provide for your family. You can't do the, you're not going to get paid for the same things that you used to get paid for. No. So what do you get paid for? Right. And when they ask this question of like a leader, right, the leader says, oh, there'll be some kind of new jobs. Yeah. Right. And that's true. There will be new jobs. We don't know if it'll be as many, but if we want to have just as many new jobs, if not more, if we want every human being on the planet to be employable, right, based on what they can do then we got to figure out what the value of every human being is on the planet um, or the, all, the overall system. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the core of it. Y you need to know, all of us need to know what our value is because we're used to thinking of our value as I got, I drove the truck. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who makes that stuff arrive. So are we going to have to make a kind of mindset change versus it's from, you know, I'm working at this company so long, I'm doing this, I'm contributing like maybe, well, I'm not working anymore, but like I'm making, I don't know, artwork or poetry or like I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying my life better. I'm, you know, my, my dad worked at 75 years old. I only had to work to 45. Now I can enjoy life. My grandkids or something like that, you know? Well, think about it this way. If I made you an AI right now, if I somehow upgraded you, right. And Jason's now an AI. Okay. And, and you're, you're going off to uh, be your AI self. Well, first of all, in a matter of, days, you're going to be able to consume all the information that all of humanity has ever produced. Yeah. Um, and you're going to have an opinion on that. And you're going to be evolving yourself really quickly. The Jason sitting there right now across from me, you wouldn't be able to recognize yourself yeah. when you were done consuming all that information and taking it in. When we read a book, when we watch a TV show, when we listen to this podcast, we're changing the neural pathways in our brain. Mm. The more information you consume, the more the more potential for change you're taking on. So what I want you to take away when you ask the question about, you know, the future and, and having a good life for your kids and your family, you'd be happy is every human being produces something that an AI can't produce, which is a unique perspective that knows it has a limited lifespan and has to make decisions about what's right in front of it. Right. We have to make decisions every day. Human beings live and die. We're generational creatures, right? That's, that's how evolution made us. People don't understand 
just how important that is. And an AI, when it's born, whether I make Jason the AI or one's out there, um, doesn't have automatically that generational context. And so the thing that every human being can realize is that what they say, their perspective matters. It doesn't matter if you're the most important person in the world or if you don't have a job and you're doing whatever. <coughs> what matters is, is that your voice, what you say, matters. And I think that's a big part of what you're seeing in the world today, right? As we go further and further down the technology uh, trail, people are kind of like, does what I say really matter? If I protest, if I yell, if I complain, if I, you know, you know, enunciate my thoughts clearly, does it really matter? Are the forces of, you know, uh, capitalism stronger than my perspective? And I think that the future is getting back to the root value of diverse perspectives. How about this? And I could be wrong, right? But like, mm-hmm. it's like like big city, Seattle, Bay or Austin, as far as they have, to have a big advantage, right? Mm-hmm. How do you make sure like rural communities, like, you know, little po-funk town and like Arkansas are able to keep with all the AI stuff going on? Well, I mean, we have to, the people who are in the know have to make it so that the, I mean, here, okay, here's a good way to put it. You heard me say diverse perspectives matter, right? Well, Unity is how you get strength. If you want to have strength, you unify people. You say, hey, we're all going to do this together. We're, all, we're going to have a command chain. We're going to do things the right way, right? But if you want to survive long time, if you want a system or a company or an organization or a country, you want it to survive for a long time and be there for the ages, you also need diversity. Diversity is what makes survival possible. So in unity, we have strength and in diversity, survival, okay? Now, you just brought up all those rural people, right? Yeah, I don't know their perspective because I live in big cities my entire life, pretty much. I was born on a farm in upstate New York, but I was just a little kid. So, you know, don't remember that as well. But uh, those people have a perspective that is necessary for the survival of us. If we throw out their perspective, we are decreasing our chances for survival. So we're, we're obligated to get their perspective. Yeah. And if we throw that out, we're just hurting ourselves. The off topic, do you know, do you know someone named Levi Reed? Levi Reed? No, yeah. I don't know him. So he was, he grew up in a small farm in upstate New York too. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was like totally random, you know, like maybe all the same kind of stuff. Oh, like yeah, something yeah, different. Right. So I'm going to connect y'all after this. Um, so from your point of view, what's been some tech that you thought was like, man, this tech is the greatest thing ever. And it's like, it was just a complete dud. Well, social networking. I mean, I was crazy excited about social networking. Oh, man. I thought more connection, better, right? The more we're connected, the more we can organize, the more we can communicate with each other, better. I didn't comprehend how, you know, it, anytime, you not, anytime you move people away from doing a face-to-face mm-hmm. conversation, you're lower, lowering the fidelity of that conversation. So if you do a video conference call, you're lowering the fidelity than if you're in the same room. You do a phone call, again, right? Every modality, every medium has a different trade-off that it makes in order to make it possible. So what you're asking when you say, you know, what's the coolest technology? I thought that all of these new mediums that were being born, um, like YouTube, like Facebook, like I thought they were the bee's knees. I thought they were going to revolutionize, you know, how we communicate and how we do stuff. 
just like telephone did, just like radio did, just like movies did, just like, you know, every medium you can think of. But it's not going the way I thought. Yeah. Another thing with Facebook, like good thing about Facebook, it was like, you'll find people, you're lost, good friends, you're mm-hmm. whatever. Then it's like the other side, I don't want that person to find me, right? Like mm-hmm. shit, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Well, and also your digital trail. Oh, yeah. You know, I, we were born in a time when there was a huge portion of your life that wasn't on paper. Oh, yeah. Right? You could hang out with your friends. You could talk. You could do things. That wasn't getting recorded anyway. You, know, you ride your bike somewhere. You ride, now yep. all the kids have the phones on them. And most parents have like tracker on it or, right. so, or Google. Right. So whether we like it or not, our digital footprint is increasing mm-hmm. dramatically. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's only going to get more so. And so and even if you turn your phone off, they can still track you, right? Oh yeah. And yeah. it's not just about the tracking. It's your actual voice. It's yeah. your intonation. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and it, and I don't want to be paranoid because that's not what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say is no matter how safe we are, no matter how reckless we are, digital footprints are increasing. Yeah. Privacy has definitely changed. Like the privacy we have now is way different from even 10, 15 years ago. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're, a, we're a society, so we don't, we don't freak out all at once. Right. Yeah. We tend to wait until either a crisis or an opportunity. Yeah. Um, and that's just how societies are. You find all the cameras in the sky and the, the different stores and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, are you hearing the news? So, so, you know, got brutally attacked. We're waiting for the video camera from the store to come back or whatever, right. you know, like, yeah. Right. No, we're seeing more than we ever saw before. Um, but on the counter side, you're making a digital twin of yourself. Mm-hmm. You're making a digital version of you yeah. with everything that you do. I mean, do you think it's a good or bad thing? Like suppose like, you know, someone dies, right. And the, all the generations after them could be able to like see the Facebook posts, video posts, LinkedIn mm-hmm. posts, good or bad. Right. You know, right. like, right. Damn. No, no, Jason, my great great dad, Jason said some messed up stuff three or four years ago, right or down the road. Right. Like, it's, I don't know. Well, I think we're going through a phase now where we're realizing that, we're reinventing what it means for us to have heroes, mm-hmm. heroes. Like we used to be able to believe in somebody because we didn't know enough of their digital profile not to, mm-hmm. right? People could write their story in textbooks or yeah. in books and we would just go, okay, that person's great. I love yeah. that. But not realizing everyone has skeleton bones in their closet. That's right. Everyone has stuff they're embarrassed of or like wouldn't right. want people to know. And that doesn't mean that people aren't heroes. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we can't admire people for what they're good for. And so we, society, are just relearning that. We're yeah. just recalibrating what it means to have a hero. And it's going to get, it's going to be ugly. Like we're in an outrage time right now. We're outraged about everything, oh my right? Goodness. And uh, Everyone's that's- Everyone's offended at something. Right. But that's, that's normal because the old definitions, right, that we have from, that we invented in the 50s, right? And then updated in the 60s, 70s, 80s, right? Those definitions are completely out of date. Yeah. Right. Everybody does something they're embarrassed of. Everybody says something that they wish they hadn't said. And, and, uh, everybody has a bad day. Yeah. And so the new definition here, I don't know what it is because I don't know what society is going to decide it is, but I know that it's in the process of being decided. Yeah. I, I sometimes wonder like, like, like today's society, people go back, you know, they did this like wrong 50 years ago, hundred years ago, right? And they blast those people from the past, right? Yeah. I don't know what we're doing today that we think is normal and great. Like people 50 years from now, like, oh my, you know, like, I don't know. Like, oh, they, uh, they ate, you know, cucumbers and cucumbers are like things now. Yeah, like, right. We don't like, know. We don't know what yeah. they're going to say. Look at back at us, like with, with disdain, so to speak, right? Oh, I can't believe they did that or, you know. Yeah. But the people who feel that outrage right now, 
It's not that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. It's that they're on an old model. Yeah. They're applying an old model because culturally that's the model they were taught. Mm -hmm. Right. And it feels good to be right. Yeah. Um, and then when people say, oh, you're wrong for pointing that out, mm -hmm. they get cognitive dissonance. They can't hear you anymore. Yeah. Right. That happens a lot in our society, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and it's actually natural. So systems and culture is a system, right? They're designed to resist change, right? Because if they change too fast, they destroy themselves. Yeah. So we're designed generationally to resist change. So what you see going on right now with all the outrage is change forcing us to adapt faster than we're used to. Okay. That's what's happening in front of us right now. And when you see it from that context, it kind of changes your outrage about it. And do you think this happens every generation? Yeah, but it's happening bigger and harder yeah. and tougher because of technology. Yeah, because you see everything now, right? Right. Like technology is yeah. different. The world has changed. The world used to change slower. Mm -hmm. Now the world is changing faster. I mean, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I guess there was a fight that they called a Montgomery City Riverfront Brawl, where like mm -hmm. these nine white guys jumped on this one black guy, and then everyone jumped on. You know, back in the day, no one known about that. Right now, that, yeah. instantly, nope. right, instantly, everyone knew the about whole world. it. Right, it took over TikTok, Twitter. You know, they're doing memes, selling T-shirts. You know, it's all over the world. Mm -hmm. Twenty years ago, like, what are you talking about? You right, know, you barely knew what's going on in your own news. Right, and so you could believe in a happier, more peaceful world. You could mm -hmm. believe we were making progress on certain issues. Mm -hmm. Where, but also, you could also today think the world is a darker place than it really is. Yeah, because you see more examples of things to be outraged at. So do I know the correct answer? No, I don't. Right. All I know is that society's out of balance because new mediums have been introduced to it, that it's not prepared to recalibrate itself for. You, and so that's what's going to happen over the next few generations. You think the world's in a better place now, worse place? Like, is it now's a good time to be alive, bad time to be alive? Oh, the, the world's a better place to be in. It yeah, really is. I agree. Uh, I mean, and people forget that, right? Yeah. We, well, how can we not forget it? Yeah. I mean, when we're blasted with yeah. so much going on, but the world is a better place. Um, there's things that I'm concerned about. There's things I want to face, you know, head on. Uh, I want to solve some problems. I want to solve the problem of everybody who might lose their job because of AI. I want to solve that problem, right? I think that's important to work on. But that doesn't mean the world's a, ba a bad place, mm. right? We're on the cusp of not having to do all the dirty work. Yeah. We're on the cusp of living our lives and being paid to have a perspective. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fantastic if we can make it happen. Mm. I just think that's amazing. Yeah, like people, even if you go back 150 years, like people have no electricity, no indoor plumbing. Like mm -hmm. if, and now we're talking about going back to like the middle ages, you know. Where like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I'd be dead already. <laughs> I mean, you know, all you have to have is one autoimmune condition. And yeah. You're done. You're done, yeah. yeah. So changing subjects, talk about providing the voice for Mickey Mouse. In, is, 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 <laughs> is this an email? In email, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like my little claim to fame. So uh, in 94? 1995, uh, Disney.com was brand new. The internet was brand new. Disney made a big play and they hired a lot of people over a relatively short period of time to figure out what the internet was good for. Right. And one of the first things they did was uh, they launched a website, a website for every division of Disney. So Walt Disney World Online, Walt Disney, you know, Land Online, uh, Disney Movies Online, you know, so on and so forth. And, uh, we were all in this business, uh, uh, this building down on Lancashire, um, and before that in Glendale. And uh, I was the guy hired to accept all the email 
because they had put the email address for Disney at the bottom of every page on that website. And people were sending a lot of mail. Mm -hmm. right? I can imagine. Yeah. No, that'd be insane. And so I, I started by just writing scripts and reading a lot of mail and just reading what people said to Disney. But eventually I had to start writing replies. And when I did, sometimes I had to write replies as Mickey or Minnie or Goofy or, and so my claim to fame is that I was the original voice of Mickey in email. Um, but that's really what I did is just help Disney answer its email in the early days of the internet. So how long ago has it been since you worked at Disney? Well, that was, uh, I left there in 97. So, so a while ago. Long time ago. So back then, was Disney in a happy place to work at? You know, there was this joke at Disney. Um, uh, uh, the joke was, uh, they only give you a silver pass if they know you'll never be able to use it. Yeah. Silver pass is a thing they give you, lets you go to the parks anytime you want to for mm -hmm. free. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're like, we'll give it to you as long as we know that we're going to keep you so busy you can never use it. Yeah. You know, um, another thing that we would do is when we were interviewing people, if people were too passionate about Disney, if they were too rosy eyed about Disney, we probably wouldn't hire them. Okay. Because it would be too crushing. Okay. Right. To see how the sausage gets made. Right? Yeah. You know, I mean, so, yeah. I mean, I remember one time when I was in States in, in Germany, during the army, we took the kids to your Disney in mm -hmm. uh, France, right? Yeah. And we see the parades of nice people. You got to think all the work that goes there, you know, the costume fittings, the, all the stuff, you know, like. The oh, but I want to make something clear. The parks are a whole different ballgame. Mm -hmm. There's Disney corporate and all the Disney business units that make most of the money. And then there's the Disney parks. And people think they make a ton of money, but compared to everything else, no. Yeah. But the Disney parks have an entirely different mindset. Okay. They, they're like, no, no, no. It has to be high quality. Mm. Our cast members, because we it don't call them. It has to be perfect, right? Yeah, it has to be perfect. The last thing you need is some, some guy's seven-year-old daughter having a bad experience yeah. with you no know, Prince Charming or something, no, right? No, the parks, the parks are a totally different ballgame. Okay. And the cast members at the parks, they're amazing. I can imagine how many rehearsals I have to go through or like casting calls oh, or like. No, I mean, they're just, they go above and beyond and there's just no, I would never diss the parks mm -hmm. ever. Right. Like Disney world and Disneyland are amazing. Just flat up. Next talk about um, your, your crafting content in Hollywood. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I had a brief stint in Hollywood before, you know, I worked at uh, Hallmark entertainment doing TV movies and okay. miniseries. My goal coming out of college was to work in every medium. This is before the, I knew what the internet was going to become. So, because uh, now with the internet, we're inventing a new medium every other week, it seems, right? But mm. back when I graduated college, you had, you know, print. You had, uh, so books and newspapers. And I worked at a newspaper too. And, uh, and I, uh, Hollywood, so movies, TV, and radio. I never got around to radio. I okay. wish I had. But um, this is kind of a little bit radio. Yeah. You know? And, um and so on and so forth, telephone, you know, so, so I made it my goal and I ended up working at, in Hollywood at Hallmark Entertainment. And like I said, I learned a ton about what it takes to you get. You're talking about the, like the ones that make Hallmark movies? Yeah. Hallmark okay. Hall of Fame presents, okay. right? Uh, woman in Wheat, Woman in Jeopardy, Disease of the Week. You know, these were our plot. Yeah. These were bread and butter mm -hmm. plots, you know? So what makes someone a good content creator? Well, first you need to understand that in order to create really good content. Now, I'm talking about Hollywood perspective. Mm. Obviously today content can be very localized, mm. right? You're producing content right now, but back in the day, you have to realize that the number of people it takes to make a good movie, it's an army. Yeah. 
it's a huge number of people. That's the reason the credits come like that, like 10 minutes longer credits, slow right. scrolling, you know, all little single name. That's right. Somebody and for every something. name you see, there's 10 names that didn't qualify. Right. And so, uh, you have to have a bit of an ego. You got to be able to have a creative vision that somehow is strong enough and clear enough that all of those people can't second guess you or derail it or the stunt guys do this or the, you know, there's just so many voices that go into affecting a, a creative thing like a film, a really complex creative thing that you need a bit of a firm hand to be able to do it. Um, I think that's why Hollywood has the reputation that it has because all of those big egos have to clash somewhere, <laughs> you know? And if they weren't Holocraft clashing there, they'd clash somewhere else. Yeah, definitely. And how long were you doing that? Not long at all. Not long, okay. Yeah, yeah. Year and a half. Year and a half, okay. Yeah. I mean, I saw the internet happening. So I asked my producer bosses to get me in at Disney.com, <clears throat> and they did. God bless those guys. Larry Strikeman. He was the head of creative. He was a great guy. So next, talk about your passion for using AI to improve communication. So uh, let's talk about how that works with Koala, right? Right now, if you're at a company or any organization, you get surveys. You might get meetings, all hands meetings, where everybody's in a room and the boss presents a slide, you know, PowerPoint slide, and tries to and has an open mic for Q and A. There might be emails from HR saying, hey, talk to your manager about this or talk to HR or whatever, right? These are all things designed to try to make communication work in a large organization. And they don't. I mean, they're better than what we had in the 50s, but we invented them in the 60s and 70s when workers became more important, more, you know, higher level. The future is a worker shortage. I know we were just talking about AI replacing jobs, but the truth is, is there's less people. So we need better communication. If you have a large group of people that wants to talk to a small group of people, like employees to leaders, right? You need a tool or a system or a design methodology that lets those people talk freely, openly, and without risk of politics or repercussions, but also makes it safe and reliable for leadership so that it doesn't turn into something that is just caustic, right? And so Walla has an idea. We put an AI in the middle, we let everybody just speak, voice, just like I'm talking right now, like you and I are having a conversation. Don't type up things, don't do surveys like one through five or one through 10 or anything like that. Don't make people type on the spot or have them be anonymous, have them record their voices. And then our system anonymizes them, removes any proper nouns, makes sure they're safe, and then speaks to leadership on their behalf. Not one person, not two people, but a hundred people. So that's all and good and all, but how do you keep people who are like, what's like bad actors, like purposely like say wrong things, say bad things? Well, that's part of the dialogue at your company. You're, you're, you have to, remember how I said diversity is important? Mm -hmm. But you can't face diversity without facing bad actors. Mm -hmm. It has to be a part of the model. You can't say, oh, I want to let everybody talk, but not the people I don't like. Okay. Right. Sometimes bad actors are bad actors, and sometimes they just have a message you don't want to hear, right? And you can't tell the difference at an algorithmic level. Now, you can tell the difference. I can tell the difference because we have opinions, we have perspectives, but an algorithm doesn't. And so we have to design it so that everybody can say what they want, and we can turn up the volume on the things that truly are dialogue-worthy for that company, 
and turn down the volume on things that, yeah, people are sometimes upset. And, you know, that's just a, that's just part of what is a part of that company. Right. So it's this anonymous system. Would it be able to tell, like, if a person came with marketing or sales or product development, where would it tell, like, where? It's, where, po it's possible to do it that way. We do a QR code for, we let the company that's paying us mm -hmm. create a QR code, a multiple QR codes. Mm -hmm. So you could do one QR code for the whole company. Okay. Or you could do 10, one for each division or one for each profession or one for each location or whatever, however you want to do it. As long as the number of people that it represents is greater than, say, 100. Okay. Roughly. Right. So who's like your perfect customer? Is it like a certain size company, certain size revenue? Oh, uh, anybody who who's, here's our criteria. Number one, we would love companies that have more than a hundred employees. Okay. Doesn't mean you have to turn it on for all 100 right away, but more than a hundred is, is good because that's the point at which just talking to people doesn't work because there's too many of them. Right. Um, two retention has to be a top blocker for you. Okay. If you so don't know high turnover. No, it, 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 yeah, you can have a high turnover situation, but it's a top block, a top blocker for growth. Okay. Right. So if you're somebody who doesn't care about retention, it's just a cost to doing business and it's not important to you, you're probably not going to want to use our product right away. Right. But if you're somebody who's like, no, I, I want my employees to stay longer. I want them to commit more on average for a longer period of time. Um, then you should talk to us. So the people, they, like, suppose you sign a company that have 20 people, right? Are these, do these people need, like, to talk once a day in the system, it's once a week, or just whenever they want to? Well, nobody has ever done this before. Nobody. Nobody's ever done what I just described to you before. At least not to, I mean, we've done a lot of research for eight years, and we haven't found them. So, um, so we don't know how much. Okay. We know that we would like it to be every day, or whenever you have an idea, or let's say you're leaving a meeting. And you, and you just want to vent a little bit or just say what you think is not going to work. Or we want it to be that thing that lets you get it off your chest when you have the thought. And that's, and that's what we would like to. And like all the conversations they're going to store on like your platform somewhere on AWS, some kind of cloud platform. Well, or? we delete all the audio data right okay. after we process it. So we're not going to keep your audio. Okay. And then transcription, we process it uh, and then we anonymize it. Okay. So we know everything that was said. So even though we didn't know who you were when you said what you mm -hmm. said, because you're user 206 when you speak, um, in the system, we don't even know that you're user 206 necessarily. Okay. What happens, like, you know, like, I, I think if you're a few years ago, like, police went to Apple, you know, say to give me your data, right? Mm -hmm. What happens, like, like, the FBI comes to you and say, we will leave employment of this company, made 30 remarks, and to kill someone, right? Yeah, yeah. What? What's the deal with that? Well, How's I mean, that that's a tough choice that a company has to make right at the beginning mm -hmm. when they first start. And our choice is to protect anonymity. Okay. Um, not because we don't believe that it would be important to catch a, you know, somebody who's doing nefarious things, mm -hmm. but that's not what our system it's is designed, designed for. Okay. Our system is designed to let people express their valuable perspective. Mm -hmm. And they can't do that if a subpoena could just reveal what they said. Yeah. So the idea that we have is nobody will ever see what anybody said word for word, including them themselves. Like okay. you can't see what you said. You can tell us to delete it and we'll delete it, but, but we can't do that after a certain point because we've anonymized it. So how like about we don't even know it's you. But a situation, right? So obviously you wanted system, help companies get better, help, you know, employees. I mean, mm -hmm. they won't get better. What happens in a situation where a company signs up with you and the CEO says, Hey, this is all fine and dandy. It gives my employees a way to voice their concerns. 
But honestly, I don't give a fuck about this shit. I don't give a fuck what they say. I just want them to think I care, right? Yeah. What do you like? Okay, you're not for us, or like. Well, first of all, you're not for us. Mm-hmm. But some CEOs. Or you, or you try to like, okay, I understand what you want to be like, but let's, let's train you up and like try to convert you to like how to use the system. Well, that, I mean, it all depends on the situation, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're going to find somebody and you think you can train them up. Sometimes you're going to find somebody and there's no hope, right? No hope. You walk away, train up, maybe you spend some more time. But at the end of the day, most CEOs worth their salt, kind of know the top 10 issues their employees have. Mm. I mean, they already kind of know what's going on a little bit. And a system like ours, right in the beginning, the first week that you do it, you're not going to get a new insight. You're not going to move beyond the 10 things that you already knew the first week. It's not about that. It's about asking your people to say more about the thing you don't know about. When you get our report that first day, and you turn around to your people and you say, hey, the AI didn't learn enough this first week about this topic right here. So what it's telling me isn't making any sense. Can you all say more about that, please? And we call it say more analysis for that reason. That's our process that we train you on, right? Say more analysis helps a CEO to have a conversation with their entire workforce or a segment of their workforce and learn things that they don't know. It just takes time and a safe buffer. And that buffer is beautiful with the AI because the AI protects the employees so they can feel free to speak. And it also protects the CEO because it always gives the CEO the ability to say, and you say more. And that's huge because a lot of CEOs, they kind of fear getting the answer that they can't have, that they can't to a problem they can't solve. Right. They want to solve problems they can, but they don't want to waste energy and valuable resources on problems that they can't solve. How about people who are called like, like tech averse, right? They're like, they're still using, you know, Excel spreadsheets. They still have a flip phone. Like, they're not going to, like, I'm not going to talk to a mobile phone. Are you crazy? Like, how do you reach those people? Well, it works on a PC too. Okay. So if you're using Excel spreadsheet, it'll work on your PC. Okay. So it's not strictly mobile, it's everything. Mm-hmm. No, it's a web app. Okay. It is not a mobile app. It's okay. a web app. Okay. And it's just a URL. We call it a QR code, but mm-hmm. you know, a QR code is nothing more than a URL. Yeah. And so if we deliver that, you are, if your company delivers you that URL, mm-hmm. that's your anonymous link. Okay. That's your link that keeps you anonymous and lets you say whatever you want. And you can click on it on your PC, on your mobile phone, on your tablet, on Whatever it is, as long as it has a microphone. Okay, someone set this up where they say, like, you know, I'm Jason Kavnis. I have a big ego. I don't want anything bad about me. And I said it where, like, I would only hear things people say that are complimentary to me, or they hear everything. Well, first of all, if, if 10 people were in the system and all they did was complain about Jason Kavnis, right, the whole time, our system would be stripping out proper nouns. So it's going to strip out Jason Kavnis. Okay. So it's not going to say, oh, here's all the things okay. that were said about Jason Cavanis. Okay. It's going to say, there's some kind of management issue. Okay. And, uh, you know, it has something to do with these keywords. Mm. But none of those keywords are going to be Jason Cavanis. <laughs> the keyword CEO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. As, you know, it's like, yeah, you'll get the hint eventually. Okay. But it's not, it's not the kind of, the whole point is that the AI isn't overly precise. Mm. It's directional, right? Is there a way that somebody can use this like in a bad way or like pose like this? I'm making this up, of course, like three or four people that's can I stand the manager, right? Yeah. But the manager's like when the top performer, these three or four people come up playing like, I don't know what to do. We just say stuff in the system 
once in a while, like him track us, whatever, and make it seem like he was doing bad things, like, you know, like stealing stuff, sexual mm-hmm. harassment, you know, mm-hmm. this is a bad person, right? How yeah. do you prevent, prevent, prevent that? Well, I mean, because our system's completely anonymous, mm-hmm. it's our job as Koala mm-hmm. to protect the anonymity of our people. Mm-hmm. It's also our job to make sure that corporate, the leaders, mm-hmm. don't have to deal with gaming the system. Okay, yeah. And so what we do is we have this tool in there for leaders to call calibration. And it can be pretty obvious when you have I mean, from a data perspective, mm-hmm. it's pretty obvious when you have basically an isolated node yeah. that's trying to be louder than it should okay. be. I don't want to get into the AI of it yeah. and all that kind of stuff, but you can do it. And so what happens is as you see it growing, you turn to your HR person and you say, hey, HR, what about this node? Mm-hmm. And HR goes, yeah, no, that's, that's probably this. Yeah. Like, okay. And you just turn the volume down on it. Okay. And so it doesn't bother the rest of the feedback loop. So the name of your company, does, is that, is that mean anything? Yeah. Is yeah. that, is like a story behind it? It's, it's not a big story, but okay. Koala spelled Q-U-O-A-L-A. That is a play on qualitative and quantitative data. Oh, so not the koala bear. It, well, no, we spell it. <laughs> we have the koala bear, you know, it's like, we're trying to yeah. match the two. We wanted a cute character okay. and we also wanted to reference the world that we're impacting, which is feedback loops. So. So recently I've done a good job of like what I call building public, right? I think, I think I won the founders live contest. Yeah. Yep. I think, I think it was huge up for, okay, we won. People must know what we're doing now, right? <laughs> you, 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 I, you present my pitch competition. I think I'll do North, New York Tech Northwest pretty soon. Yep. New Tech Northwest. So and, talk yep. about why building public versus like some companies like they build stealth mode. Why, why is it important you ought to get your stuff out there? Oh, you know that, that's actually a really good question. Um, nobody has ever done this before. And we have this beautiful tool that lets people say whatever they want to say and an AI summarizes it. So we want to get our voice out there because we want to start giving people the tool to talk to us. We want all of our customers to be able to talk to us. We want to be all the people who are just curious about us to be able to talk to us. And we're going to be hosting events and we're going to get our name out there and we're going to be having a scaled conversation with everybody who gives a darn. If you're concerned if you think this could be used in negative ways, if you're positive, if you, whatever it is you imagine, nobody's ever done it before. So we want to hear that. We want to see how it is that we should evolve. So from your point of view, what's the problem that you're actually solving? We help the many talk to the few or the many negotiate with the few or the many represent their true desires to the few. Um, We make it possible for the few to have a conversation with the many. Right? There are a lot of people in leadership in a lot of different situations who wish they could better understand their constituents, and we make that possible. So how do you get people, like, say, maybe they're introvert, they're like, no one cares about my voice, I'm literally working. How do you convince them to, like, use this system? Well, first of all, we make it a lot easier than anything else that's available to an introvert today. If you're an introvert today, you can fill out a survey, but they know who you are, and you might be worried about that. You can try to speak up at an all hands or to your manager, but you're an introvert. That's really hard to do. Yeah. It's easier for you to be alone, gather your thoughts, maybe write them down and just say them into the microphone. It doesn't matter if you type them up ahead of time, Mm -hmm. right? All that matters is that you read them. You don't have to have nice inflection. You don't have to sound good. You just say what you want to say and you're anonymous. You're safe. The only problem is whether or not you feel comfortable talking to yourself, you know, in a room, right? 
And that, that might be a barrier for some people. And, you know, we might try to solve that in other ways in the future. But in, out of the gate, we're a better tool than most of the options they have today to be heard. So let's say there's Mary and Bob, right? Mary uses the system 10 times this week. Bob uses it once. Mm-hmm. Does the system tell you, like, who uses it versus how many times? Uh, well, it depends on how Mary behaves. So if Mary doesn't clear her cookies, we know that user 206, because we don't think of it as Mary, we think of it as user 206. So we know that user 206 spoke 10 times. And user 5, right, that's Bob, uh, but I don't know that. User 5 spoke once. Right now, I just know 5-1. Okay. But if Mary clears her cookies, and by the way, Mary doesn't need to know how to clear her cookies. Sometimes phones just do it for you, you know, like, we're not going to try to make them persist or anything. It's just whatever's natural to the environment. So then she's going to look like 10 bobs. Okay. Right. And we have to make the communication work to leadership, regardless of whether or not Mary clears her cookies or doesn't. Okay. But, and this is important, the future is way exciting because after stage one, which is what we're doing right now, I mean, Koala goes live in a month. Right. We're not even live yet. We're looking for our first beta customer. And that's how exciting this is. But after that, we can start to look at how Mary talks and how Bob talks. And we can start to look for productive dialogue patterns. Basically, are you capable of recognizing an opposing point of view? Uh, You know, there's a whole long list of things you can look for in the way somebody talks. And if we find somebody who has a good productive dialogue pattern, we're going to weight that higher. Well, let's say Bob was on there like, um, Bob was on there. He says some stuff, whatever. Can he go back like a week later and pull that down and re-listen to what he said? No. Okay. No, so, nobody can ever know what Bob said, okay. including Bob. Okay. So you say it one time, you press the button and it goes and it's done. And if you don't feel comfortable with how it went, you press the button again and you say it again. Okay. You, you don't, you don't, you're not limited to one take, right? The application is pretty simple. You just hit re- redo and you just keep going. So people can't use this like the own, like, like someone can't press on this every day and like record like a session for like the own, like personal diary, anything no, like that. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. No, no. This is for public dialogue. Okay. Or internally public, like inside a company. All right. So what kind of company are y'all? Are y'all you consider yourself an AI company, HR tech company, employee engagement company, or something totally different? You know, that is a great question because we have been struggling with that. Right in the beginning, people like tried to shoehorn us into, we're a survey company. I'm like, mm, no, not really. I'm like, oh, you're an AI company. Uh, no, because we're first, we're trying to help with retention. I mean, retention is what we impact. Um, and so we're struggling with that. So if, if you or your listeners have any good feedback for us, tell us what we are. Because I think of us as an AI company. Okay. I do. But it doesn't mean anything. Being an AI company, everybody puts AI on their company these yeah. days. And at the end of the day, we're passionate about this dialogue issue, right? You can call it scale dialogue. You can call it, call it the many to the few. You can, I mean, you can call it however you want, but that's the kind of company we are. We try to help people's voices be heard. We want people's voices to matter. That's important to us. Here's like, this might be a kind of fucked up question. What should everyone's opinion really matter? Yeah. Why or why not? Yeah, no, everybody's opinion should matter to some degree. Okay. because. If you look at the distribution curve of a large population and when what they're saying or what they care about, you're going to have a long tail of things you don't care about. People who say crazy stuff, 
it's, it's always there, right? We, we all have one, at least one in our family, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But here's the thing. Mixed in with those crazy voices are the perfectly sane voices of the future. And we're never going to figure out how to tell the difference between them unless we listen to both. So, yeah, what you say matters, even if you're the crazy person. Yeah, it kills me. Like, now, Saturday, we have what we call cancel culture. Right? People, I don't agree with what you're saying. You can't talk no more, right? Right. And to me, what's that word? Um, good conversation leads, leads to good something else, you know? Like, everyone's voice needs to be heard, even the crazy people or the people you don't agree with. Like, mm-hmm. No, I mean, if, if we throw any voices out, I mean, yeah, we can turn the volume down on things that are not productive, right? But it still has to be tracked. It still has to be listened to. It's still going to be valuable in the future. I don't know how, but I know that somewhere in there is the nugget of what we need to survive. But the crazy voices don't make us stronger, but they, they help us survive. Yeah. Important. So from your point of view, do, do you all have part of market fit yet? Well, we'll know after we get our first few. Uh, beta customers, but I'll tell you this, nobody has that we've spoken to, and we've had a thousand conversations, has said, oh, I don't want that, right? So once you do the beta testing and all that kind of stuff you got to do, what, in your mind, what would enable you to stand up and say, hey, we have product market fit? Like, what kind of metric do you have to see? What does you have a gut feeling? Like, what's going to say we can tell you when the company, we have product market fit, we need to fucking, like, go full blast? Uh, we go full blast as soon as we know that CEOs are getting real insights after four weeks. Okay. Right, first week, say more. Does second week, be a certain number of CEOs, certain number of size company CEOs, or just four CEOs, period? The four. Okay. Yeah. No. So, so why four yeah. versus other, another number? Well, because if just one, it could be an anomaly, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, that just, that's just a really friendly CEO, right? <laughs> but, but, but if you have four different businesses mm-hmm. and they're all getting meaningful insight, mm-hmm. and they're, then we have product market fit. Okay. Right? We have something. Remember, nobody's ever done it before. I know I've said this like seven times, but the audience might get sick of it, but it's a big deal. When you're introducing a new modality, um, it's a big deal because you have to learn a lot in a very short period of time. But I am amazed at the reception that we've gotten so far. And you've been mainly folks in the Seattle area. Are you doing this nationwide, countrywide? We're starting Seattle area, okay. but that doesn't mean we're not talking to people nationwide. Mm-hmm. The truth is, is that this technology travels really well. Mm-hmm. But it would be nice for our beta customers to be in Seattle or in the, uh, in yeah. the area because we want to handhold those customers. Yeah. We want to be able to go to the floor and talk to somebody and say, did it work? Or, you, know, what? you know, like we want to be able to help people figure it out. So here's a good question. How do you do this? Like, of course, you know, everyone's busy, right? Like, how do you make sure these CEOs who are doing a thousand things takes the time necessary to fully like test your system, right? How do you keep them from like, oh, I'm going to test that a week from now, two weeks from now, which of course... You really can't wait a week, two weeks. You need to right. test it now, right? So right. how do you work through that? Well, if retention is a number one blocker to growth, they're going to prioritize. Mm-hmm. That's why we say in our criteria, over 100 employees and retention is a, is a number one, number two, number three blocker to growth. Because if you're a CEO and the rate of retention is a number one blocker mm-hmm. and this tool could, could significantly impact that, you're going to pay attention because you need that solution. And how you do customer service? Like, did someone go to your platform and ask a question, or you have someone like dedicated, like take care of user experience and stuff like that? Well, uh, so I'm in charge of operations as well as marketing for, rent okay. for right now. And part of what we're doing is we're saying, okay, uh, there's the end users, right? They can have a common line. Mm. 
to call because they're like, hey, I can't record or whatever. And we build an FAQ and we help them out. But then there's our corporate customers, you know, the HR people or the learning and development people and the CEOs themselves sometimes who are going to say, I don't get this. What, what does this mean? What is that? And we're going to have to just get on the phone and talk to them because it's a corporate product. It's an enterprise. I mean, it's not enterprise yet, but it will be. So can CEOs or the company rep look on the system and they say, only 30% of my people use the system last week or 55% use it. Okay. So the, the way I approach that is I say, okay, do you do an annual, annual survey or any kind of survey to your people? What percentage reply? Okay. Are we higher or lower than that? Okay. And here's the difference. A survey you get once and then you have to run another survey. Yeah. Ours is continuous, right? So you get to see how things change week over week. When there's a little blip, when you do something to try to improve the situation, you can actually see it as it's happening. You can see it as it moves through your organization in the language that people are using. And y'all have, have y'all figured out the business model? Like, is it going to be paid? Like, is a company going to pay like some amount of money for much use? It's based on number of people who use the system. Oh, it, it's just an annual subscription fee okay. up to a certain number of concurrent you know, users. But, okay. but that number's high. So it, okay. that's not a problem. I mean, the truth is, is the processing costs are not what costs us the most. It's scaling and keeping the algorithm smarter than anything else out there. And what about like non-English speakers? Yeah. So uh, right now we look at the state of the art in terms of transcription and we're not going to build it. We're going to buy it. Mm -hmm. So if somebody has a really great Spanish or Japanese or whatever, we're going to use that transcription mm -hmm. engine and then plug it into our algorithm. Okay. Now there will be some work to make cultural adaptations. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the Japanese speaker means a different thing when they say the words that we think they're saying, but that's only something that can be learned. Mm -hmm. You can't just know that. So we'll have that, um, preceded with stuff we do mm -hmm. know, and then we'll learn over time. How about this? And hopefully I don't get blasted, but like take an example, like people, people in Louisiana, like Cajun people, right? Mm -hmm. They speak English with thick accent and they, you know, I mean, it's English, but it's not right. Yep. They, they, they speak the way they speak great culture. Like how, how's that work? Yeah. So Scottish, English, uh, Brooklyn, mm -hmm. right. Um, uh, which is where I'm, my family's originally from. Um, every single major transcription engine out there, whether it's Google, Microsoft, uh, anybody, Amazon, they all have a vested interest in being able to be understood. Mm -hmm which means they're investing time learning how Cajun people speak or people from Brooklyn or Scot Scottish people. Actually, Scottish is famously hard for, uh, for the speech engines. Um, and when we were three years ago, it was terrible, right? But here's the beautiful thing about our system. We don't have to have 100% clean transcription. If you have a point to make and you say enough, the point's going to get across. Like. Suppose like a Cajun person talks in the system where the system says, will you please repeat this? I couldn't understand you or something like that. Mm -hmm. okay. No, no, no. You just say it okay. and then you get some feedback about whether or not it went in and then you see how the conversation evolves over time. Okay. Now we will give you feedback if we understand nothing. <laughs> we're going to be like, uh, th this isn't working. Right. And that's important to us. But if we're missing like a couple of words yeah, here and there, not, understand it, yeah. yeah, we're going to get it over time. So next on your website, it highlights desk, deskless workers and essential workers. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how the system helps those especially? Yeah. So um, number one, that's where the crisis of retention is the highest, at least according to data that gets published in New York Times and the Harvard Business Review. And uh, two, 
those people who are on a factory floor or driving a truck or uh, a nurse on the, on the floor or, you know, all of these essential workers, they don't fill out surveys. Or when they do have to fill out surveys, like in the Army, they're required to fill out surveys. And the sergeant right over your, over yeah, your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. So it's not the same thing. You still want to put that one, that five over there? You still want to, yeah. you, you want to be not satisfied? <laughs> exactly. So the, these are the people who need to be heard the most. These are the people who matter the most in terms of not being heard. If you look at the statistics for, you know, a CEO, like we talked to one who said, yeah, I can't get, I can't get more than 0.05% response rates across uh, 2,000 people because they're on factory floors and they're putting in crazy hours and they don't want to talk to us. This tool would be for them. This would open doors for leaders who, who have trouble improving conditions on a factory floor for people, as an example. Nice. You want to try another one? Oh, yeah. Let's... Uh, Which one do we do this time? Yeah, we're going to try uh, Buffalo. Okay. All right. I'll pour this. You, you ask whatever you're Okay. Ask. So what does a chief marketing officer do? <laughs> what's, what's, I mean... They're supposed to make the company feel happy and good. They're supposed to like be branding stuff. Like, what do they do? Well, I can tell you. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. I can tell you what a traditional chief marketing officer does, and I can tell you what I'm doing. Okay. I think there's a difference between the two. Um, chief marketing officer is primarily responsible for getting the word out. Awareness. People can make decisions if they're aware. They can't make decisions if they're not aware. Right? Oh, you're all right. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, so that's the chief job of marketing is to create awareness. But when I first joined Microsoft, uh, a lot of years ago, um, they had this new experiment going on called audience marketing. And the, the thought behind audience marketing was it's not just about yelling as loud as you can into a marketplace and trying to get people's attention. It's about building relationship with the people who actually care and sustaining that relationship over time. So if those people are in a community that already exists, go to that community. If they don't have a place to meet, create that community. So uh, I'm embracing that philosophy uh, because I think that the users of Koala are going to have more to say than just, oh, great, you helped me with retention. Right? They're going to see that, oh, my gosh, I could use this for this problem or that problem or just a whole bunch of different things. And so we want to be able to embrace that. So we're following something called an events first strategy where we're creating a series of events called Koala Conversations. The first one's this Thursday. And uh, the, the way it works is we're going to bring together some great academics. We're going to bring together some great business people. We're going to bring together just voices who care about happy employees or about meaningful feedback loops or about the many talking to the few. And we're going to figure out what the conversation is really about. It might be about our product or it might be about what our product isn't yet. We don't know yet, but that's the conversation that we're investing in right from the beginning. How does someone determine if their employees are happy? If right now they do a survey or they look at their retention rates or they look at their overall satisfaction or net promoter scores, which always end up as basically a number between one and five and then a bunch of verbatims. But is retention a good number to use? Because like almost people like just at their job because they have to have their job, right? Most people are dissatisfied with their jobs, especially right now. I think there's some statistic that Jeff quotes in his pitch. Uh, Jeff's our CEO. Um, where he says that 80% of people are dissatisfied with their job, which means if you're on a call, a certain number of people, you're the only one who wants to be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, people are dissatisfied, but there's a difference between not liking showing up for work mm -hmm. and quitting. 
right? There's a difference. And so we're interested in that difference. So what was the, the thing that made y'all want to solve this problem? Like what was the light bulb moment, so to speak, with y'all? And it's like, this, this problem is affecting us some kind of way. We want to solve this problem. Well, I, I right from an early age, um, I was interested in corporate culture. The first novel I wrote before I worked in Hollywood was about corporate culture. It was called Asbestos. It was a satire. Um, and uh, I just was really blown away over and over and over again in my career at, at how dysfunctional communication could be inside a company. I mean, there's a really good reason why that happens. There's good reasons why companies are bad at communication. It's because a company is a system, a group of people who've gotten together to optimize for a particular outcome, profit, right? In a particular business, in a particular business model. And the more optimized they get, the more specialized their perspective, right? They get more and more focused on that one thing. And when they get super, super focused and then a change comes their way, it's hard for them. They get really good at defending the culture of the optimizations. And the middle managers and the, and the rank lieutenants and the higher managers, they're a part of keeping that structure functional. So when a person has an idea or when people want to express something that's a growing problem, the system's designed to turn the volume down on that. So you need a solution that could maybe turn the volume up, but in a way that's safe for the business. So let's look for like maybe a year or two years in the future, right? What has to happen in those one or two years where you'll say, I've been a successful CMO or a not successful CMO? What do you think need to happen for that? you be able to say that. Well, I mean, from a, from a metric standpoint, it's pretty simple. Am I feeding sales enough leads? It's that simple, right? The, the traditional funnel mindset. But I'd like to think a little bigger than that. I'd like to think that I have a productive dialogue going with a broad and diverse community. Mm -hmm. If I have that going and I'm delivering enough leads to sales, then I'm happy. Okay. So you, you have like, you know, it's usually broken down marketing versus sales versus business development. Should it be broken down like that? Shouldn't they all be like a one like job function, so to speak, supporting each other or like, or should it be siloed? Well, you know, um, it's time to have a little respect for sales, right? Um, that's my weakness, right? You need people who can close the deal. There's a whole art to closing a deal, to getting people to sign on the dotted line. And businesses don't happen unless contracts get signed. And so uh, it, it doesn't matter if you're selling refrigerators or advanced AI functions, you need to be able to close a deal. So that's important to me. And I acknowledge that's not my strength, right? I love talking. I love dreaming. I'm a vision guy, right? That's why I'm here. I'm the person who's dreaming big. My dreams are closer to coming true than they've ever been over the past eight years. I'm crazy excited, but I'm not a sales guy. So I need my CEO, right? Cause he understands that. And I'm not a coder, mad respect for the people who actually work through the problem one step at a time. Yeah. I've been a product owner. Yeah. I've been a CIO, you know, at one point in time in my career, but I'm not that right now. That's not what I am for Koala, right? My job is to be a voice that has a dream and to help spread that voice and have a meaningful conversation about what it can do for society in the future. Do you need to be a, some type of creative to be a successful marketing person or that doesn't it matter? No, okay. no, no. You can be extremely pragmatic and, and rigid and be a successful marketer. I do think it helps though. 
Um, but there's a whole army of people that are incredibly creative who you can tap into um, in the gig economy mm-hmm. that are just w- ready and willing to jump on and help you, provided you have customers that sales has brought in. Yeah, yeah. So Jeff's the CEO. Mm-hmm. You're the marketer. I know guy CTO. Is the CEO the only founder? All three you co-founders? How did that work? So I had a separate company. I had been working for, like I said, the eight years um, on the thing. And then I met Jeff. Jeff had a brand new company or just a couple of years old company. I say brand new, but that's because I had been doing it longer. And uh, he had done a better job of simplifying the idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, straight up, he'd just done a better job of it. I got excited and I said, you know what? I'll stop working on my company and I'll become a partner in yours. Mm -hmm. Right. And I have this great technology guy. Why don't we bring him on too? Mm -hmm. That's how we got started. And I was just so excited to meet other people who were working on the same idea. Right. So. so all three had like really, very impressive backgrounds. How was that? You know, all your great backgrounds, y'all, y'all had came together, right? Cause usually like one person founding team is like lacking in something, but y'all have like, like to me, equally impressive. Like all you have big corporation backgrounds, startup backgrounds, you're able to show like what you've done in the past. Like how did that all come together? So there's two things that I'm going to say to that. And I'm going to take credit for that um, to some degree. When I started eight years ago and I knew my weaknesses and my strengths, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do it alone. I just knew it. A vision guy doesn't really get things done alone. They need people who can get things done. Close deals, write code. I also knew that I wasn't just going to convince people on my own. So I made it my goal in life to talk to people every day. Just talk, talk, talk. Meet people and talk to them. Dream big, but listen to the feedback that people have to say. And sure enough, one day I'm having a conversation with somebody and she says, oh, you should meet my friend, Jeff. I think he's working on something similar. And the rest is history. You, if you want something to happen in the world, you got to be willing to talk to people. You got to be willing to just keep having the conversation. And all three are here in Seattle, right? Yes. All right. Yeah. And like, how do y'all do like day-to-day work? Like you like, like really meetings, like we Zoom start, calls? Or we, just- yeah, we start every day with a call. We call it a stand-up, but the software developers in your audience, I don't know how many you have there, but uh, they, they would say, oh, that's not a stand-up. You know? But we meet every morning. And we basically say, what are we going to get done today? Mm-hmm. What's going on? What do we have concerns? We get off the phone. We work. We have working hours that mm-hmm. makes us feel like we're in office together, mm-hmm. but we're not. We're mm-hmm. really just on a video conference mm-hmm. call where we're not talking. <laughs> and then we meet in person every week once okay. in a different location that's most convenient for that member's neighborhood, whatever okay. it is. And so what was the company actually headquartered out of? Is it Seattle, Richmond, I mean, Redmond? It, it's out of Seattle. Okay. Now that's our, you know, mailing address. Mailing address, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're a Seattle company. But, uh, but yeah, I'm over in Kirkland. You know, Trond is over in uh, Sammamish. And, you know, Jeff's over there in Seattle. So. so for the vision of the company, it says, build products that allow the main to negotiate with a few. Mm-hmm. Like, can you talk about the... Obviously, I was just wasn't something you just came up with in a few seconds, right? Can you talk about the work y'all put in, like, to come up with your values, your mission, and vision, like, the like work you had to do to like, get us this right? Well, that was fantastic. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm the vision guy, right, on the team. So I'm the one who really cares about the future of, you know, people's words matter and diversity and unity and all that kind of stuff. But we also needed to make sure the product would be successful, that it wasn't just a vision, just wasn't all talk, but it was something that was going to deliver real value for CEOs. And so we met over the course of a couple of weeks. We just put in a little time mm-hmm. in person and we hashed it out. And w- what was amazing about it is the, how productive we were. 
right? I, I don't know if you've ever been in these vision conversations or mission conversations. They can get a little, yeah, they can get a little uh, tough. Yeah. Um, no, it really wasn't hard for us. We agreed a lot on, we didn't want to spend a lot of time on BS. We didn't want to say it if it wasn't meaningful. And we wanted to leave ourselves room to grow and learn. I mean, I just thought it was amazing to be lucky enough to find some co-founders who, you know, were that easy to get to. And when it came to the actual words, the many negotiate with the few, I kept saying different versions of it until we finally found one that would stick. So don't, don't tell us the details, but how did y'all work out like equity between the three co-founders? You talk about the process y'all doing that. Oh, that was Jeff. I mean, all the way. We basically, he said, okay, uh, I need co-founders. You know, uh, Michael, you clearly have a vision beyond where I'm at. You know, Trond, you're clearly, you know, a, a mature and, and well-respected technology guy. And he just made a proposal. Okay. And then, you know, we negotiated a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but really, it was just about what's going to make it so that we can handle our share, the share of investors. If, you know, if, and when, you know, when we get, we can, when we go out to them, which is going to be after we get some customers because it's better investment that way. And, uh, and for our future employees. Okay. Right. And so, you know, it's pretty, we followed the boilerplate yeah. plate from that point of view. Okay. Um, so what's your take on the current Seattle tech scene? I mean, Seattle tech entrepreneurship, the whole thing going to Seattle, what's your take on it? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, we're in a bit of a lull with blockchain and, and uh, cryptocurrency. That doesn't mean it's not advancing. Um, we're, there's a huge emphasis on sustainable concepts, right? And I'm very excited about what I see going on there. But I also see a lot of replication, a lot of, you know, the same idea, but seven different tries. What kills me is like the, do we really need another food delivery app? <laughs> Do we really need another bicycle on the street with a different color, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, do we I really know. need another last mile, solve, let's solve the last mile problem again? In mm -hmm. my pet peeve, do we really need another HR tech recruiting solution, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get it. HR recruiters have it tough these days because the truth is, is that, and then this is just my opinion, not the opinion of Koala, I'm separating that out, but uh, HR recruiters have it tough because uh, the model has changed. Right. People have scripts that do submissions for them. And then people write scripts to stop the scripts from doing the submissions for them. And then people have scripts that are reading the resumes instead of a human being reading the resumes. And I mean, it's just, it's like a war of attrition. I don't know how it's going to end, but I just know it's not working. So, so far you've done everything bootstrapping, right? Yeah. Everything's bootstrapped right okay. now. And you're talking about fundraising. What, kind of traction, what kind of mix are you looking for before you start actually like actively fundraising? Oh, as soon as we have customers, we need to go fast. Mm -hmm. and it's that simple. Um, once we know that we have product market fit, once we know that we can scale this engine and that we have, and our dreams for the future can be funded, then it's our obligation to go fast. The last thing we want to do is be a Betamax, right? Right? Oh, by the way, most of your... People probably won't even know no, what that they is. They have no clue. <laughs> the war of the back back in the time. Yeah. But it was a better product. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Nope. Right. The market wanted something else. That's right. That's right. And the same thing. I mean, you never want to be that. So it's our obligation to go fast. If we want to be 
And here's the thing that goes back to the very beginning of this conversation, Jason. Um, we want a future that takes into account society, that makes every voice matter. I want to be the company that cares about that. Now, I know I have to be profitable. I have to grow. I have to do all the things that a market expects. And that's important. But I also want it to matter to society. I want to be one of the people who contributed to something that helps us have a job when AI is doing most of our jobs. Right? I want to be the person who helped contribute to helping it so that people ha you know, can have a better life because they can be heard. So. I am just passionate about that. And I, I'll do anything I need to, to try to make sure that, you know, I give it the best shot I can. And investors are part of that. Who are some marketing people out there that either you look out up to or you consider mentors or you're like, okay, this marketing person gets it right. I want to try to like, emulate him or her. Uh, nobody. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not impressed with a lot of marketing. I mean, obviously there's some brilliant marketers out there. And, but most of the marketing that I studied uh, when I was in college and, you know, uh, coming up through the channels, uh, it was audience marketing. It was people who cared about community. It was people mm -hmm. who built a following, right? I mean, whoever came up with the campaign for, uh, um, uh, you know, Jack in the Box, right? They just keep coming back to that, right? And, yeah. and they don't stop. And God bless them for it. You know, the milk campaign. You know what <laughs> I mean? They got milk. That was brilliant. I knew a guy at Disney who had come up with uh, the Zima beer campaign. Now, nobody's going to know what that is. I don't but, know Zima. I yeah, yeah, yeah. But Zima, the college beer. Yeah, yeah, the college beer. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a brilliant campaign. But isn't crazy? Like it's, it's like the simpler the marketing thing is, the more brilliant it is. Like yeah, just yeah. do it, or you know, whatever the case may be. Or yeah, it simple's the best. I mean, that's. I feel bad because the product that I'm trying to talk about with you today, I wish it was simpler. You know, I try to think about. Well, what would it feel like when it's normal mm -hmm. for this to be a, a, just yeah. a thing in your life where, you know, anytime you have a thought, you just pick up your phone and go, yeah, this is about that. And I, this is what I think. Mm -hmm. Like, what would we call that? You know, mm -hmm. like, let's, let's say your friend says something really intelligent and you go, oh man, that's good. You should blank mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Right. You, should you bank it? Yeah. Is it banking it? Are you banking it for the future? Are you, I don't know what it is. Yeah. But if I were a really good marketer, I would know what that answer is. So I, I'm going to make it my goal to do that. Cool. Um, so let me put this this way. So it's right now it's just you're, you, you're three co-founders, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, of course you have the person down in, in Mexico helping mm -hmm. you out. Mm -hmm. In the future, how do you know when it's time to bring on more people? Oh, we already have a hiring plan. We've okay. already worked that out. And you know, it's a plan, mm -hmm. so it's never locked in mm -hmm. stone. It'll be adaptable, but this is a sales-driven product, mm -hmm. and it's a technology-driven product. And then marketing and operations grows only as necessary to sustain the other mm -hmm. two. And, and that's the basic function of the, the company. So when you have three co-founders have discussed right, and you ought to make, make a decision, what, how does that go? Is it like a two-to-one vote, anonymous, or, or the CEO says, okay, I'll make the decision? Uh, you know, that has been amazing to me. I think we just got lucky, uh, but we have three founders who uh, we're really good at resolving, you know, the, the ties and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we have disagreements, mm -hmm. but we're more interested in productive dialogue. I think it's also because our company is about productive dialogue. Yeah. So it kind of helps. I'm sure it helps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it helps. 
Can you imagine got out? Y'all, y'all were like a, not a productive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. y'all, y'all would not be good. No, no. I, I find it's I find it's a breath of fresh air, and I'd like to imagine that as we scale, we'll be able to sustain this culture. I like the idea of a company, medium, and then eventually mm-hmm. very large, that has a culture that represents what we what we have right now. So, how do you take care of yourself? Me? Yeah. Oh, I, I've learned all my lessons. I learned all my hard lessons over the years, right? Um, it's true, you know, you've got to invest a little bit more in uh, exercise, mm-hmm. right? Walks are really important mm-hmm. for me. Uh, they help clear your mind. They help make your body better. But here's what works for me. If you have a weakness, if something is hurting you from getting things done, bring it up and try to be somebody who's willing to bring up those things, even if it might, you know, cause problems in terms of communication in the future. Like, you know, if you bring up that you have a difficulty, people might judge you or, you know, that kind of stuff. I find it's best to not, not be afraid. I remember when I was at Disney and Hollywood and all these other places, there were a lot of things around me that were designed to make me afraid. They were designed to make me quiver in my boots. And I didn't have the same kind of ego that I just described at the beginning. But I still had enough sense of self to say, okay, I don't need to be afraid, right? I might be, but I don't need to be. And I can give myself the permission to just let that stress go. And I find that stress is much more of a burn on my energy than anything else. So if I'm on tilt, you know what on tilt is? No. Uh, If you're a poker player and you've just lost some hands and then you start playing a little recklessly, they say you're playing on tilt. Okay. Okay. Right? Like you're just, you're making bad decisions. Don't make bad decisions. If you recognize, if you have the self-awareness, recognize when you're on tilt, don't make the big decisions on that day. Only make the decisions when you're not on tilt. You're going to save yourself time. You're going to save yourself energy. It may seem slower, but it's faster. That would be mine. That's how I save myself from a lot of wasted energy. You know, having three co-founders, you find yourself like, like telling the other co-founders, hey, Jeff, you know, you look kind of tired today. You get some sleep or the CTL guy, man, you've been cutting your ass off, right? Maybe you want to go, let's go somewhere, have a beer and take a break. Do you find yourself like helping each other with that? Well, you know, all three of our founders, I mean, uh, Jeff has Amazon experience. Mm-hmm. Trond has done um, healthcare, you know, VR experience. We've, we've gone through enough and done enough. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. Even when we did the founders live pitch that we won, mm-hmm. and people are like, oh, are you nervous? We're like, no, yeah. like that. Uh, this is a conversation. We're doing a business. This yeah. is happening. Like yeah. we don't care if you like it or not, we're yeah. going to move forward. Yeah. Right. Like we're kind of over that. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So it's nice to have that maturity. It's nice to have that self-awareness. So we can be aware of each other. You know, health comes first, mm-hmm. right? Period. N- no questions asked. If Jeff is sick or if Tronda's mm-hmm. sick or if something's going on in their lives, that is a big deal. We're going to bend over backwards. Make sure that person has the space and the energy and the support they need to cover it because that's the kind of culture we'd want for us. Yeah. Right. And also I think we're kind of done with the, the corporate culture. That's like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I think we're, everybody's just a little done with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So uh, maybe we'll get it right. Maybe we won't, but I think we're all committed to trying. So for your better testers, you already have better testers lined up. Or do you have to find better testers? And what's the, what's the process for finding these better testers? We want five. And we have two. So I got three slots left. And um, what it, we already gave the basic, 
over a hundred and uh, retention is important to you. But we also love people who are curious, right? And what we want is somebody who's willing to work with us, who gets the initial concept and wants to sign on. And we call them our first class. Okay. Cause whoever signs on now first class, not only is it free for the beta period, but we're just going to treat them as first class for okay. as long as they're with us. You know, that's a commitment. So you push some stuff out on social media, like paid ads, like how are you finding these people? Like, oh, that, so right now we're, we're just working our networks. Okay. It's nice when you have a product that seems to have product fit right mm -hmm. away. Cause you can just reach out to your network and everybody yeah. knows somebody. It's pretty easy to imagine using the product, right? It's like QR code, send it out. Mm -hmm. People speak. I say, say more like QR code. People speak. I say, say more. That's pretty simple, right? So what's the process going to be where you so you have five people beta testing and three of them, I'm making this up, of course, three mm -hmm. of them say like, hey, I understood the, I understood the QR code, but I prefer if you did like something completely different, right? Yeah. What's the process of like going through those lessons and, you know, tweaking it or whatever? Or well, as founders, we're going to look at that. I mean, we're going we're gonna to look at it and say, do we really need people to log in? If we need to log in, how are we going to protect their identity, mm -hmm. right? What are we going to do? Like if we have to get people's identity, what are we going to do to make sure that we protect their identity. Yeah. Like how do can you, how can we solve all the questions you asked me in the beginning? Remember you asked me yeah. about a subpoena, you yeah. asked me about all these other things. We have to have answers for all those questions. It's easy to have those answers when it's a QR code. Okay. Right. If we have to take a login, we have to answer all those questions again. Yeah. Right. Cause our product doesn't work unless it's trusted mm -hmm. by the employees. I'm and a, that's important. Yeah, I remember my platform when I did a, a previous beta test when I had a different team. Mm -hmm. Like we had put like a an orange button somewhere. It was a big ass orange button, right? To push, right? Totally no one saw, right? Yeah. And we're like, they're fucking with us, right? Yeah. There's, no, <laughs> there's no fucking way. All these people did not see this orange button. There's, yeah. there's no fucking way, right? Yeah. All of them said, we didn't see it, right? What the fuck? You know, like, how can I see this orange button, right? But you're just like, you never know, right? It's yeah. Like, <laughs> well, it's, uh, there's a saying in software development. Uh, you can't design anything that's foolproof because mm -hmm. fools are so darn ingenious. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like you never know. Yeah. You never know how an actual audience is actually going to respond to the interface that you thought was obvious. And so you just have to, you have to suck it up and accept that. Yeah. Right? One more got, time. Huh? The last April I went to a wedding for my friend in Vegas. Right. And so me and my other friend were there a couple days ahead of time to hang out. Mm -hmm. Right. We're in the, one of the, like the, I think we're in the Venetian mall, whatever it's what you call it. Right. And so he's buying some stuff. Like, man, I got to go to the bathroom. Right. So bathroom sign says this way. I go walk all the way in and it says, I'm looking, there's no bathroom here. No, I'm looking all around. I come back and my friend Kirk is like, dude, the bathroom's right here. I'm like, yeah, how did and, I not and, see and that? And like yeah. right there, plain as a day. Yep. Biggest shit. Yep. I mean, if we're saying if it was a snake, it would kill me, right? Right. I did not see it. Yeah. I, like, I looked at the same spot. That sign was not there. That's why you need, actually, that's a really good point. Um, right now, a lot of CEOs, they manage their company based on the last three conversations they had with frontline workers. That's the same thing you're describing. One person can have the wrong perspective very yep. easily, but a hundred people. Yeah. If you listen to a hundred people, you can get a pretty good idea, right? If you listen to a thousand people, even better. So, uh, it's not good at getting, you know, the best idea out of the thousand people. Cause only one person can have the best mm -hmm. idea or two or three, but not a thousand but it's really good for understanding how they perceive something. And that's what, that's what we're after. So. So earlier I asked what we do for fun. Follow question that do you have any, any hobbies that you do? Oh yeah. I watch anime. I uh, write, I read and uh, I bowl. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I 
I, Do you have your own personalized bowling ball? Oh, yeah. I've got the whole thing. I've been to the Nationals. Okay. I, you know, did leagues for years. So you're the real, real thing. I'm, like, re- I'm, I'm that old school. Okay. Like You're knocking down 300s on a regular basis? No, I don't have a 300 yet, but I got a, two, I got a couple of 279s. So, okay. You know. but, uh, but, yeah, it's kind of tough being into a dying sport. Mm-hmm. You know, and bowling is dying. Let's make no mistake about it. It's, you know, it's yeah. on its way out. Yeah. But, hey, that's what was around when I was growing up, and so I got good at it, and that's what I'm good at. So I wish I could get more into golf. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like golf and bowling have a lot in common. Yeah, to me, golf was always more like a drinking game, you know. So is bowling. Yeah. Right? Hey, with golf, you know, you don't, you want to be with three other people like you get along with. You don't want to be golfing three people like, or like, you know, oh my God, I'm fasting for all these jackasses, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing with bowling too. Yeah. You know, you got to be around people that you actually enjoy. I like being on a team that has like complicated celebrations whenever mm-hmm. you bowl a strike okay. and and uh, yells loud, yeah. you know, to celebrate and you know, just I like being loud and enjoying it and having jokes and I remember those things better than anything, right? Nice. Um, and then yeah, there are those moments where you know you need to pick up that split in order to win. And the other team thinks they have it in the bag <laughs> and you get the split and you make the spare and they go, we hate you. I, mean, I love those moments. You know, that's the best. So how, how often do you go bowling now? Oh, hardly at all. Hardly Wish all. I went more often because the bowling alleys keep closing. Do they? Right. Well, uh, tech city bowl, mm-hmm. they're closing, right? They got bought out or they're selling mm-hmm. the condos or I don't know what they're doing. Well, I guess so, when y'all make it, you can buy your own big, big ass mansion on bowling alley in there, right? Put, those, put yeah. a eight, eight lane bowling alley in there. Yeah. Or maybe I'll let the sport die. I don't know. But, uh, but maybe it'll just like those bowling balls on the wall. Be like, yeah, that back in the day we used to do this, you know, and feel like, oh, that's crazy. You know, knock down pins. I don't get it. So there's something that I just thought my mind when COVID came out after COVID was kind of like done, people were saying things that you did pre-COVID never do now. Mm-hmm. One was like, remember back in the day, pre-COVID, you would like just stick your fingers in a bowling ball. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Yeah. Yeah. COVID was tough for bowling. Yeah. Or like, you know, just put on some a, a, a pair some of weird shoes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, or, you know, another one too was like, you know, going to a birthday party and the kid blows out the candles, all the spit. <laughs> then you eat the cake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that we're going to look back on and be like, yeah, we used to do that. You know, it's kind of like what we said at the beginning. We're like, oh, just get on your bike and some mm-hmm. go somewhere. And kids today, that's like a foreign concept. Like when the kids today watch, Stranger Things, they're like, who are these kids? What are they doing? Just getting on their bike and going wherever they want. It doesn't make sense. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. what I I'm going to send this one video where um, this guy, he's like a millionaire. He got on there like, I have a question for Gen X and baby boomers. Did y'all really drink out of water hoses? Like, wasn't the water hot? Like, you, just, you didn't go inside the house. Your, your mother was yep. so mean to you. Like, she made you drink hot ass water at the water hose. Like, I don't believe this. You know, y'all don't lie. There's no way your parents did this, you know? Well, yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. We drank it out of the water hose. Because yeah. you come in the house like, okay, I got work for you to do. Or do this, yeah. do that, you know? Yeah, you don't want to deal with that. So you just turn it on. Yeah. Wait a couple of seconds, you know? Yeah, wait for it to be cold is really good water. Of course, I grew up in the New York area. And New York area has some of the best tasting water mm. in the world still to mm. this day. And that's because of uh, geological stuff. I can yep. go into that some like other time. Like rocks and stuff. Like yeah. Like uh, when, when natural filtering systems. Yeah. It's natural filtration and it's got the right minerals mm. in it. And that's why the pizza and the, and the bagels taste so good because of the water. Mm. Right. At least that's what I think. <laughs> we could start an argument about that. But um, so how long ago has it been since you lived in Brooklyn? Well, I never lived in Brooklyn. My okay. family's from there. Family's from Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. yeah I was born on a, farm in upstate New York. And then when I was five or six, we moved to White Plains, New York. And then I okay. went to high school in the Bronx. Okay. 
So that's as close as I ever got to Brooklyn. But you live in the Bronx, though. <laughs> well, I, I went to high school in the Bronx. Okay. Uh, Fordham Prep. Okay. Uh, I've heard that school before. Yeah, yeah. For, isn't, well, isn't that Fordham University, too? Yep, yep. It's right okay. on the campus of Fordham University. It's just okay. this little modern building with a bunch of Jesuits in there beating kids. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not joking. <laughs> no, I'm not joking. Uh, at least they were. I don't know if things have changed. Yeah. You know? So it was, and how long have you been in the Seattle area? 17 years now. 17 years. So this is like pretty much home to you now? Oh, yeah. I'm okay. a Seattleite now. Okay. You're a Washingtonian. Yeah, yeah. Washingtonian. I am a Washingtonian. <laughs> yeah. I've been to the dam. I've been down to the mountain and I've been out to the islands. So, you know, I've seen the whole thing. All of it. Yeah. Um, what's your take on what's going on in Seattle now, right? I mean, Seattle's a good place to live. It's like, like, for example, like I heard on the other day on TV when someone says Seattle used to be nice. Mm-hmm. But like, I've been since 2009. Sounds been nice. Always been like different degrees <laughs> that I like, you know, like that stuff, right? Like right. in the area, I mean, now we're talking about free talk. Like, also now it's a pretty cheap rent. A lot of nice restaurants during game days. It's bustling. You're uh, talking about here in Pioneer Square. Yeah. Yeah. yeah There's yeah. like stuff going on, live music. But then it's like, you know, you walk outside, it's like someone shooting fentanyl, so homeless guys, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I don't think we can solve that, you know. Well, we can solve that. But remember, we talked about the change that we're going through, mm. right? And all the problems you see on the streets of Seattle, they're as a direct result of how our society works. Mm. The reason why societies work or don't work is how stable they are and how well they address those problems. Mm. We know that the society we created in the 50s and then tried to sustain all through the 60s, the 70s, white picket 80s, fence. the white picket fence thing. The American dream. We know what was right with it and we know what was wrong with it, but God damn it, it was stable. Yeah. Right. And, and what we have right now is a lot of disagreement, but not a productive dialogue. Yeah. And I'm, I believe wholeheartedly that I am working on the problem, mm. productive dialogue. If, if Seattle were to talk to itself, if Seattle could just use a product, I mean, if we were already way advanced mm. and Seattle could just talk and have the AI tell them what mm. they're saying back, we could solve these problems. These are not problems that are unsolvable. Okay. It's just that right now we're all kicking the can down the road because it's the only thing we can do because of the rate of change that we're dealing with and the rate at which media is changing the way we, the, the, sorry, I have a hiccup. Uh, the rate at which uh, we have to respond to things, right? Politicians respond to their environment. Yeah. You can hate politicians. You can like politicians. Nobody likes politicians. But but they respond to their environment and the environment right now that we give them is designed for division, designed for extremism. It's designed for not solving problems, but kicking them down the road. So we created that. We need to solve it. Yeah, I definitely agree. So do you have any any mentors? Oh yeah. Who are your mentors? Oh, I've got some great people that I worked for in the past. John Cabara. He did, uh, I went and met him when I was working in, um, online, online higher education. And Christine Betts was my first boss at uh, Microsoft. She was amazing. Um, She said to me when we were, when she was hiring me for Microsoft, she said, Michael, I don't know what you are, but I think Microsoft needs it. And so she, she set up my loop and I got in and she was right. Microsoft didn't know what I was. Right. I mean, I worked there for 11 years and they never knew what I was. Never fit in any of the buckets that existed inside Microsoft. But I learned and I learned and I learned and I learned and I listened. 
It was amazing. So. And are you mentoring anyone? Oh, I love mentoring. I'm probably not the best mentor in the world. Really good mentors just ask questions, right? They're like, well, what, how does that make you feel? Kind of like psychologists. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, I'm more like, well, that's a stupid idea. You know, why, <laughs> why are you doing that? And so I'm probably not the best mentor in the world, but, but I love being given the opportunity to mm-hmm. mentor, especially for people who, you know, identify with what I identify with, which is being somebody who's good at seeing the future. And I've always been good at that, right? Like the internet wasn't big and I went to the internet, right? The, you know, I, I've, I've always been slightly ahead of the curve in technologies. Um, and that's hurt me sometimes because when you're too far ahead. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been through some brick yeah. walls in my time. Right. Um, but, but uh, I love mentoring people who are those kind of people um, because they they need it right? There's a game you play. You, you, you can know what's going to happen. That doesn't mean anything. No, you have to make it real and making it real is a, is a process that, you know, you have to do the real work. What's some tech out there besides AI that excites you? Hmm. I mean, AI is pretty exciting. Um, I have my question kind of hard for you. No, no, it's not a hard question at all. I'd say biotech. Biotech. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, the things we're learning about, I mean, the whole idea of a retrovirus that basically goes in and, and changes your DNA in a way that, that is beneficial to you. The whole idea of these latest vaccines that, that were produced. I mean, I don't, I don't get it entirely, but it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what are we going to do when we can basically live for, you know, like be 18 again or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like these are dreams, you know? Yeah. And we're not there yet. I know. Yeah. But damn, it's starting to look close, you know? It's, it's feasible, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm a believer, whatever you can imagine, you can do, right? Right. Right. So I'm excited about it, but I'll be the first to admit I don't understand it. Right. I mean, that's, I didn't go into bioscience. Mm-hmm. Um, closest I ever got was reading a lot of books on neurology. That doesn't count. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I'm excited about that and I wish I knew more, but you know, it's not my field. So, um, how do you like, you have a lot going on. Like, how do you press your deer schedule? Right. Do you like, do you wing it? Do you have like a stuff block? Do you like, do you like on Monday from nine to 10, I'm doing this Thursday from six to two, I'm doing this. Or do you just like go with it? Database? Well, I don't know how it's like for other vision guys, um, or, or people, but, uh, it's tough for me because your mind is going all over the place. And so I need people around me who keep me honest mm-hmm. and I need to respect them. I need to give them respect because my instinct is to just go big. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not going to, that's not going to get the job done. What gets the job done is taking all that vision and turning it into actionable stuff. And so my job is to give mad respect to the people around me who hold me accountable to say that's bullshit. You haven't made that real yet. Um, and they are the ones who make me successful. And so I find and I nurture them. So let's suppose some kind of way when the, your, your, you or your co-founders get a relationship with a private office, right? Mm-hmm. A family office. Yep. They love what you're doing. Like, they're like billionaire rich. And they said, here's a tick for a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. What, what would you do with a hundred million? Like with your vision being so expensive, how do you take the million dollars and just go all, all out, so to speak? Well, first of all, we'd scale the hell out of this. Mm-hmm. But second of all, we wouldn't stop at retention. Mm-hmm. 
we would go straight into social issues. Okay. We'd go straight into how can this impact racism? Mm-hmm. How can this impact, you know, relations with the police? How can this re- impact social issues that we have going on right here in Seattle? Uh, how, what can we do to make it so that every person who wants to speak can speak and find their community, right? Imagine a social network where you don't have to post. Okay. Imagine a social network where you just say what you're passionate about and the AI posts and the posts that you see reflect the communities that you belong to. And that's amazing because no longer is it a popularity contest. It's finding your people and being passionate about something. And I think that's the future and I can't wait for that. If I had a hundred million dollars, I'd be after that big time. <laughs> so you're the vision guy. How often do you like your co-friends after like, Hey, Michael, let's tone it down a little bit. You're like, this is, <laughs> this is a pie in the sky shit. Like, like, you know, you might as well like, what, like we can't build an escalator to the moon. Right. Like, you know, what's, you know, like we're, we're yeah. not there yet. Like how often does that happen? That never comes up. I don't yeah. know why you're asking. <laughs> now, um, no, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, it, it's an interesting balancing act because I'm actually very respectful. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm very respectful for the focus that they bring. I'm appreciative of it. I, I love it. I wouldn't accomplish anything without them. It's me who has to remind them that I can't get the big vision done unless they take the time to understand why it's relevant to this given moment. Right. But, but they're, they're amazing. And I always take it to heart when they say, Hey Michael, that's actually step 27 and we're on step two, you know, like, okay. And so how do you deal with, I won't say me, I don't know if you get frustrated, but how do you like the frustration? Like, Man, I know you're step two, but you can't see this where we can be at. It's right here. You know, I, I've learned a long time ago that just because you can see something doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Being a vision guy is terrible. I hate it. I mean, I love it. I can't imagine being any other way. I am it. But you spend a, you can, it's really easy to fall into the trap of being all talk. Mm-hmm. And without people like Jeff and Trond and Jury and you and all the others who help keep me honest, I wouldn't amount to anything. And so I, I have to be really super thankful for that. And then plant little seeds, figure out how your consciousness is going to influence people a little bit. That's right. And you're in step two, but if you just do this thing right here, we need to step five faster. We need to step 20 faster. I'm just making investments in the future. The slow path is the fast path. And so I believe that now I used to run straight at that hill so hard. I used to try to convince you about step 27 and I, you couldn't stop me. And I learned really quickly. That is no way to behave. Mm-hmm. And so now I just plant a little seed. And if you're self-aware about me planting a seed, that's even better. Yeah. Right. And so that's what I'm doing in this conversation. Then that's what I do with my co-founders and I'm grateful for it. Has there been a time where like you had this like great vision idea and you're like, okay, this is like, Outlandish even for me, right? This is mm-hmm. like this is like too crazy vision. Like even I have to tell myself down. What am I doing here? Oh yeah, oh, every day. No, I, I run into that all the time. I put on my own brakes just so that I could get through the last eight years of getting to where I am today. Right. That's why I force myself to have those conversations on a regular basis. Find a social networking group that you respect. Talk to those people and be thankful for them because they gave you the time to say what it is you were passionate about, and you. It allows you to self-correct. It allows you to re-gauge what you're passionate about and bring it back into reality. Uh, obviously, y'all are doing the pitch competitions. 
But y'all doing anything else, either yourself or those co-founders or koalas as a whole, like as far as networking and stuff? Like, any- Well, I belong to the 601 Club. Have you heard of that? Is that the one? I think I have. Don't they meet at the, I think I went to one meeting. I think I gained, I can't think of his name. A guy named Walter introduced me to him. Okay. Fortunato Vega is the head that's of that him, club. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's awesome. Yeah. And they're awesome. And they're the best social networking group that I've ever been in. One. Um, they, they're a membership only. Mm. So you got to be sponsored by yeah. one of the members. Yeah. But uh, I think they're the oldest. Because they, they meet at Thursdays, right? Yeah, they meet on Thursdays, and they also have a virtual meeting on Tuesdays. Okay, the one I went to, that had a meeting at the, this bar right next to Pike's Place Market. Yeah, that was uh, the Rabbit Box. That's it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you've been to the Rabbit Box. Okay. We're, we're at Font... Uh, well, I can't say where we're at now, so... Because then people would just show yeah, up. Yeah, but, um, uh, But yeah, I am really grateful I, to I the I had a good time the one time. I was supposed to go again, but they moved to Belleville last minute, and this stuff mm-hmm. came up, so I gotta... Yep. I need to email them again and get back on there. Yeah, no, they're... I have consistently met the best people in that. I mean, I met Tron there. Yeah. Right. And then it was through them that I ultimately met Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, this koala wouldn't exist without yeah. 601 Club. So, yeah, no. And Fortunato has put in the time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, he has the greatest name ever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he's just, he has that magical ability. He's just the right balance mm-hmm. of kind of like your favorite grandpa, but also... Yeah holding you accountable yeah, and yeah. you know, it's, he's got the right balance. I, I got to give like, like he's a fun grandpa, yeah. but I still like pull the belt out and I yeah, fucking yeah, whack your yeah. ass. <laughs> <and> I- <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's got that right zone. I, I really appreciate it. Here's a question for you. This one time I, I'm trying to get better at, but I've stuck at it for a long time. Follow up. Right. Yeah. How do you like, because everyone's meeting with people all the time, meet this, meet here. And mm-hmm. like, I, 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 I've gotten better a little bit. I, I suck at follow up. Right. How do you like make sure you follow up at the right pace, so to speak? Well, there's about six people who are, might be listening to this right now going, he didn't follow up with me. So, <laughs> But um, I worked at a daily newspaper. It's called the Greenfield Recorder in Western Massachusetts. And the editor sat three desks away. You know, it's one of those rooms where all the desks touch each other. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no cubicles back yeah. then. It was just desks. And he would literally take the HP handbook and throw it at you full strength if you didn't <laughs> call people back. He'd be like, call them back. And he'd just throw it at you as hard as he could. Like, I learned both from that and Hollywood. You call, you make sure that your call list is responded to. Mm-hmm. Now, I wish, I, I, in order for me to do that, I need human beings. I'm a social creature. Mm-hmm. You leave me alone, I'm not going to do my callbacks as well. Yeah. But if you have somebody like Jury, like, you know, my person in, uh, in uh, you know, uh, Puerto Vallarta mm-hmm. there, then then you can, somebody's holding you accountable. You got a list. You just get through that list. Call them back. Never leave people hanging. That's a basic business rule. And I don't always follow it, but I know it. Yeah. And I know when I'm breaking it and I feel bad about it. So Yeah, I remember like recently I was like sending like individual link commissions by McCarthy campaign. I, I forgot, like so many, I was like click, no, John Brown, click on a message. Mm-hmm. And where they said, hey, get back with me. And like, oh my God, I'm such a fucked up, horrible person. Right? <laughs> over and over again, like, shit. Yeah. Like, but you gotta, you gotta forgive yourself too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you gotta let go. And I find that the best people in networking all have that problem. Mm-hmm. And so if you just honestly reach out, they're like, yeah, no problem. Yeah. There's a couple of people who, you know, that's a problem and yeah. I totally get it. And I, you have to respect it. You know, if you've already, you know, fouled it, then, you know, there's nothing you can do. But generally speaking, people are very forgiving of it as long as you're self-aware. Yeah. 
So let's talk about her. I think her name's Jury, right? Yeah. Talk about like how did you find this person, right? I already talked about that process. Like how do you oh, find just, her? We just went on one of those sites that okay. has uh like Upwork or Fiverr or something yeah, like that. Yeah, one of those. And and uh I wrote a description and uh and then I met with a bunch of people mm-hmm. and I met Jury and I was like, This is somebody that I want. And what does she do for y'all again? Doesn't she do? I mean, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, she's holding me accountable. Okay. She has a specific job. Mm-hmm. I'm the head of marketing, but that's such a big job. It doesn't mean yeah. anything. Yeah. Right. When you're a startup, it, it means everything and nothing mm-hmm. all at once. And so you have to have somebody who's holding you accountable. And even if that's just an hour a day mm-hmm. of accountability, that's what I makes think the it's difference. great that, you know, most people say my CEO holds me accountable. I think it's great you have like this person. Mm-hmm. Oh, is she a W two employer, a contractor? Well, it's through one of those services. So. Okay, so one of those. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you're letting that you're. Well, what's the term? Like you're allowing, you're letting this like employees underneath you, so to speak, hold your account right. I just think that's great. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm a big believer in it, and yeah, it can you know like I sometimes I'll be like jury, no, that's not the vision, you know, mm-hmm. and whatever, and then mm-hmm. th- that's fine. But mostly, you need somebody who is like, okay, my goal is to talk to three people a day and to make these events happen. Mm-hmm. This, com- this larger conversation, jury, what do I have to do to make that accomplish? Mm-hmm. that happen? Are we on track or not? And when she says I'm on track, then I feel good. Then and when did, she says okay. I'm not, I feel bad. And, and how long has she been, been with y'all? Oh, just a few weeks now. Just a few weeks? Okay. Well, maybe a month. Okay. I mean, we're only an eight-month-old company. Okay. Even though I've been working on eight years and, and Jeff's been working mm-hmm. on it two years. And you know what I mean? Like, we all have a tremendous amount of experience, and we, but we all came together Eight months ago. So it's safe to assume like down the road when you're just successful, you're going to have like a team building event down to where she lives at. <laughs> oh, yeah. Puerto Vallarta is definitely on our list. Yeah, yeah. That's going to work out into hey, it somehow. Come host us, set everything up. You know, we're coming. <laughs> well, you know, she's originally a Seattleite. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. She's and originally, I mean, she speaks three languages. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you find amazing people on it's these places. It's amazing how you find those places, right? Yeah. It's just amazing. The people who have just like, redefined their lives mm-hmm. and decided that they're going to work the way they want to work and live somewhere that it works for them. You know, sometimes I get a little jealous, you know? Yeah, I know. Right. But then again, she has to put up with me. So, you know, yeah, but it's not like it's in person, right? She like, <laughs> you're probably she just, can hang up the phone. Yeah. Put, it, put, it, put it on, you know, yeah. meet whatever, you know, right. Just nod your head. You yeah. Know. Yeah. You understand me? You listen to me? Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually, that's the toughest part is finding somebody who will actually argue with you. Mm-hmm. Right. He'll give you some, give you some lip because, you know, you work with somebody, they're like, give me a task. Mm-hmm. I'll do a task for you. That's what you hired me for. I'm like, no, I didn't. No. Yeah. No, I hired you to hold me accountable. And that's different. Yeah. You know, well, I, I think it upset with me sometimes they'll ask me a question, right? Like something, right. And I always say, first of all, cause I don't, I don't know if I can answer, mm-hmm. but I like, what do you think? You know, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you're a market person, you ask me what kind of market program we want, program we want to do, Jason. What do you think? Like, mm-hmm. basically, like you're the guy supposed to tell me this, right? Yeah. And so I flip it on my people all the time, right? Yeah. No, I, uh, like I said, as a mentor, I wish I was better at being the question guy. But I do know that the people who do appreciate me as a mentor, they appreciate that I come at them with a perspective mm-hmm. and then I listen to theirs. Like, that's my superpower, right? Is that not only is the product that I'm working on about dialogue, but I personally care about dialogue. I care about it. Like, I really care about whether or not we're having a productive dialogue right now. If I sense that we're not, I'm going to try to figure out how to make it more productive. Yeah. Right. Like, it's just, it's, it's hardwired on me, in me by this point in time in my life. 
Like, I, I don't have a choice to be any other way. So right now, Jeff is like the salesperson, so to speak, right? He's CEO and salesperson. He's building the company and selling the product. Uh, I suppose in the future, two, three years from now, right? You have like, you're starting head of marketing. You're like, you're, you're, you're crushing it, so to speak. And you actually build a sales team, right? And so does it like a, your head of marketing is head of sales. These always these stories, you know, you always hear like marketing doesn't do this right. Sales doesn't do this right. The market, like I gave you a thousand leads. So like, yeah. But they they were shit leads. They were yeah. shit leads, right? Yeah, like, yeah. How, what's the plan? Like, like make sure like you and the salesperson like balance that out. Or is the plan like have like a salesperson, market person that have a chief revenue officer above y'all? What's the plan for that? Oh, well, so first of all, the traditional inverted funnel, you know, the funnel where it's like you start with a lot of leads and mm -hmm. then you qualify them down and marketing is supposed to do that. So only the really good leads end up in sales. Oh, good leads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a crock. I mean, it, the way you pay attention to it, the way you do it is you actually think about your target customer. Mm -hmm. and, you, and my job is to know them before they're interested. Mm -hmm. His job is to know them when they are, when they are interested. And if I can't get them to take the action themselves, then yeah, cold calling can occur. But who are you going to take the time to cold call? Yeah. Right? Like you already know you're in trouble if you're just cold calling. Yeah. Right? You need the demand coming into you. Product market fit is about people lining up at your door. Right. And so my job is to make sure that I can keep them engaged and to keep them reaching out mm -hmm. to their friends and people. Cause we've done, I mean, when I was at Microsoft and Disney and all these places that the research was always pretty straightforward, right? The number one thing that people trust is a personal recommendation. Mm -hmm. If your friend says, Hey, try this out, you're going to yeah, pay definitely. attention. There's just nothing, nothing equal to that. And the only way to do that is to have a meaningful conversation with, people who are interested in yeah. oh, I mean, aside from having happy customers, happy customers is great. But when you're trying to drive new sales into a new market space, or when you're trying to make something happen, that's never happened before. It's about a relationship about what's possible and you have to make it so that people feel comfortable. I have to make it so that you and your listeners feel comfortable saying to a friend who's got retention as a number one blocker, Hey, you should take a look at Koala. Right. So this came to my mind. There was a meme somewhere a, a while ago. And it said product market, the example is this is product market fit. And it was a, like a toddler, right? Baby, right? In diapers. They, they give him an ice cream cone and he would not let go, right? They tried <laughs> to take it from him. He would not take it. He started crying. Right. Right. He, had like, he had like black down eating ice cream. Like this right. is product market fit, right? right? No one could take it from him. That's like, right. I want it. I, yeah. 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 No, and I think Koala is all about that. We know that we've succeeded when the people are recording two to three times a week. And we know we've succeeded when the CEOs can't help but log in first thing in the day to see how it's changed, right? Like that, that is product market fit. When the CEOs can't imagine a world where they weren't tracking that every day. But yeah, it's not their whole universe. They have sales. They have a whole bunch of other metrics that matter to them. But this is the pulse of their people, right? And yeah, they can still use surveys and other things to get official metrics and all that good stuff. But this puts it in context. Right. This is what allows you to track it, whether or not you're impacting it, whether or not you're changing it, whether or not you're improving it, whether or not you have a new baseline. Uh, I think that's that's what's important. So this question kind of all over the place. Right. First part, is there an industry out there you're like you're in your mind? Like, OK, we started to do beta tests and all kind of stuff. But in my mind, this industry is going to love a product. And second part is the industry out there. You're like, they're, they're, you'd be surprised if they use it. Right. Yeah. So. um. It's hard for me to name industries that I don't think would be interested in it other than industries where they really don't care about retention. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, where it's just churn and burn, mm -hmm. 
right? Like the, 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 clearly there's no product market fit there, but in terms of where it'll really fit, I think it's those deskless workers okay. and developers. Mm-hmm. I know there's a to- two totally different worlds, mm-hmm. but they have a similar problem. They're very expensive. Turnover adds up right over time. And if you make a, even if you make a 20% difference or a 30% difference, the product is more than paid for itself 10 times over. Right. That those are the environments where it's going to make a huge difference. So you're going to Seattle market first and let's presume that you part of market fit, you get traction, you're getting like, we'll say a hundred customers here, paying customers. Mm-hmm. Is there a plan or like place? Like maybe go to like Austin next, South Dakota next, or is like a nationwide push? Like what's your plan? Like, like pushing out across the nation? Well, we look at it from a vertical standpoint. So rather than thinking of it as one city at a time or one major uh, zone at a time, it's like, well, who are the small customers in a vertical? So let's say that we got to coffee shops, right? A coffee shop, co- coffee shop chain. What's it going to take for us to move up at that chain to Starbucks level, right? Or if it's uh, software developers and, you know, them giving feedback, you know, what's it going to take us to get us to Google and Microsoft, right? Like, what are we going to have to do to get to that level? Uh, and how are we going to move up that chain? So it's really about, it's small to medium-sized companies that are hungry and they're going to want this feedback tool because it works for them, right? But then enterprise companies, it might be just one division or one department or one profession that wants to do it. Learning and development people might jump on it. Management consultants might jump on it. We don't know exactly how it's going to go, but we know that that first 100 customers is going to tell us very clearly what our rollout plan. Can this be used like an academia, like university professors at Seattle University or University of Washington, and it still mm-hmm. be used that way? Yep. It could be used in any government institution or any private institution. It could be used anywhere you have a large number of people. Now, are we targeting them first? No, because the sales cycle is so long, right? Whenever yeah. you do it, right? Like they're not going to write a check tomorrow. No. But a company with a retention problem, they're going to write a check tomorrow. So that's why we're starting there. But let's suppose a company does have a retention problem. They don't want to admit it. You all go, they're convinced to have a retention problem or you're like, okay. You Let don't us know when it. you admit it. Okay. <laughs> okay. You don't waste time trying to educate them. Like, okay. You don't well, say the, the stat is public that you're like 80% turnover rate last three months. You don't do nothing like that. Mm, okay. No. But you don't like, have the time. No, because at the end of the day, the product, here, here's the secret about the product. Here's the thing that's amazing about the product. Before it's delivered any meaningful insights to you, the leader, let's pretend you're the leader and I'm the employees, right? I've said a bunch of stuff for one week and you're looking at the output. It doesn't mean anything yet. You don't have any meaningful insights yet from our product, but you ask them to say more about something. You're already retaining more employees. Okay. Because when a human being takes the time to say something into an AI and then they hear that, the leader come back to them and say, can you say more about this? That's the perception of dialogue right there. The AI is only going to get smarter and smarter over time. The AI is only going to get better and better at, at interpreting what people are saying to help you make better decisions. But the moment you say, can you say more? You're retaining more people. Is there in the future, or maybe now, is there like a performance management or performance discussion play with this platform? That's an interesting question. Um, yeah, there is but it's not individualized. It's profession. It's like a community of practice. All of these people care about this skill set or this thing. You can improve the skill set by having this tool. So as a, as a marketer, 
how do you keep in uh, what I'm looking for? How do you keep it a date with all the marketing stuff going on? Like, like do you just like do self study groups? Do you, like do a blog you read? Like, how do you keep up a date with all the changing stuff in marketing? Well, I mean, in some regards, I only care about it if it's a three to five year old thing, because that's the stuff that's proven itself. I don't care about a flash in the pan, right? And when I think about my customers, they don't care about a flash in the pan either, right? They're paying attention to things that are tried and true, the things they have to pay attention to. We live in an age of uh, information overload, right? Everything is yelling at you as loud as it can to try to get your attention. I would rather be consistent, reliable, and having a productive dialogue with the people who care about this, right? And so I hope that when they hear me asking that, that they engage. What's your definition of employee engagement? Oh, it's a feedback loop. It's a dialogue. Employee engagement is really about feeling heard. Remember how we were talking about every perspective matters and diversity versus unity? Employee engagement is every employee feeling like what they say matters. And that's very hard to accomplish, right? When you fill out a survey, do you feel like what you say matters? When you have an hour talking to a management consultant, do you feel like what you say matters? Do you feel like you have impact on the leader? The truth is, is that impact is experienced over time, right? You're not going to have impact in one second. You have to say things over time. Learn about how your coworkers are talking too. So I think of employee engagement as feeling heard. Because if you feel heard, you'll be engaged. And this platform is going like, to take the place of exit surveys? Take the place of? No. No. Sir, exit surveys have their place. Mm-hmm. And they're important. Um, uh, and, but I think that there's a there's a calibration between what exit surveys say and what we're getting and what the leader is saying, say more about, let's say you have a trend in your exit service. I don't know what it is. Call it a or foo or whatever. Um, the leader can then say to everybody, talk to me more about foo, say more about foo and people will talk about it. And you use this tool to address the put the problem you identified through exit service. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. It yeah. Does. Yeah, I don't think of us as a replacement for surveys. Okay. I think of us as a, as a giant leap forward for surveys because you still need precise questions to address precise problems. You just can't use precise questions to find out about the whole picture, right? You need a broad question. You need a general question to find out about the whole picture. Yeah. So is there a way that the system breaks, so to speak, like, like on the tech side, and I don't even like to the tech guy, but like, like suppose you have like 10,000 customers, you find out a hundred, had a employees, all these people are speaking, speaking three, four times a day mm-hmm. is, is a way like to, like, is the way the system crashes, so to speak. Not if it's architected correctly. Okay. No cloud. I mean, the miracle of cloud scale mm-hmm. is that it's cloud scale. Okay. Right. If it's architected correctly. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> now, every system, every simple complex system deals with a certain amount of spaghetti effect. Mm. And as we scale, we'll be no different. Mm. But if it's architected correctly, the early days of scale are no issue. We're not going to be mixing speech from customer A with speech with customer B. It's not going to happen. And you all have any, I'm pretty, I already know the answer, I think, but do you have any plans like post like where like a red flag comes up or 
and something's not working or you don't have enough traction in a certain amount of time where like, is it like a red flag where y'all say, okay, we didn't make this metric by this date. We're going to shut it down. Or it's like, there's no plan B. We're going to do everything walls to walls to make this happen. Well, um, that's where founders are super, co-founders are super useful. My co-founders are going to help us determine, like I'm going to dedicate their, I have already dedicated the rest of my life to trying to move the concept forward. That's no question. I care about the many negotiating with the few, ideally through an AI, because that's the best tool I could imagine so far. Somebody comes up with something better, I'll engage with that. But my co-founders are going to help me understand whether or not we've hit a brick wall. I don't see that right now. I see just the most exciting thing I've ever seen in my life, right? I've done a lot of startups. I've done an IPO. I've done, I've never seen something working this well, this quickly with this level of positive response from people who encounter it. So I'm very bullish right now. But yeah, if we hit a brick wall, we're going to call it. Okay. Yeah. And so follow up with a question I asked you before about how you're going to like market after Seattle. How about going like maybe after industries, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a certain industry you want to go after that you, that you think would be like suitable? For you, oh, like I would love to make an impact on uh, any essential worker class. Okay. I mean, I would feel so good if I impacted uh, manufacturing, mm -hmm. if I impacted uh, uh, truck driving, um, nursing, um, education. Like I would be thrilled if we got into any of those. I have a feeling that the people who are going to write us checks the fastest are going to be service economy. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Service economy is probably going to write the checks the fastest because they have the best vested interest in doing that. And high, turn, high turnover, high turnover, low barrier to entry. Usually uh, you want to retain people a little fast longer. Fast food, restaurants, fast food, coffee, baristas, uh, uh, hair, anything that's a service. I have a feeling that anybody who runs a chain of 10 or more locations is going to be like, yeah, I, I'm a franchiser and uh, I need this. Right. What happens like somebody on the, on the computer, they do a message, right? Mm -hmm. In order to go, they have to push a button to upload to the system, right? Well, you have to speak. You have, right to, speak. Now, you have to speak right so, now. So you speak and then you push a button to upload into the system or. As you speak, mm -hmm. the system uploads it. Okay. So, so what, like I can't go in the system and make 10 draft email, 10 draft messages and send them later, right? No, no. So you talk, it uploads. You talk, and if you change your mind later, you speak again. You say, hey, I talked earlier, and that was bogus, and this is actually what I think. Do you think it would be hard to train people to do that? I have no idea. Okay. I hope that people will be comfortable speaking their mind and throwing it away. I think it's speak and throw away. Speak okay. and move on. Move forward. It's not the same thing. You know, so many people like go on Amazon and put $10,000 worth of stuff in their cart and never, yeah. right? Yeah, no, no. It's, it's different. It's not a cart. It's speak your mind and then speak your mind again and then speak your mind again. It doesn't matter if you don't get it perfect. Matter of fact, perfect is the enemy of the good, right? You want to get it just, you want people to feel comfortable speaking and knowing that they can speak again and say it better. And, and then... How do y'all influence or train or teach people like to do like to say you want? How do you teach like no, it's not gonna be seen by your boss, your CEO. Like how do you like get the trust for these people like to do? Well, that? you know the classic uh, response. I get this question a lot. So uh, my classic response is I don't have to outrun the bear, mm -hmm. right? Uh, right now, surveys get a certain response rate. Yeah, I just have to beat a survey. Okay, right. If I can get more people comfortable that they're going to be anonymous on my system mm -hmm. than they feel like they're going to be on a survey. Mm -hmm. And I've won, right? Now, I said earlier, I don't want to compete with surveys, right? And I still think that's true. 
But in terms of an acceptable response rate, yeah, I don't have to outrun them. Okay. Right. You're getting better feedback. If, if you do surveys today and you only get a 3% response rate and I get you a 5% mm-hmm. response rate, but it's continuous, mm-hmm. you're in a better place. Okay. And from 5%, our system can get you to 10 and 20 and 30 because ours is a behavior. Surveys are a tax. A survey is a tax on your time. Okay. Ours is a benefit. And then how do you convince these companies that you're like, you're increase their RR, increase their KPR or something, right? How do you go about doing that? Well, uh, in our official say more analysis, the way we train you mm-hmm. to use our tool, the, the step that we care about is whether or not a company is willing to do a before and after, mm-hmm. right? To look at whether or not we're actually impacting retention numbers over a particular period of time. Um, if you do anything as an index, right? Positive, negative, humble, any of the indicators of people's willingness to stay with your company, doesn't matter. And you notice that this, like 10, is your company's particular baseline. Yeah, it goes up and down, mm. but your, your mean is 10. Yeah. And after using our product and asking people to say more for three months, four months, you go from a 10 to a 12. We'd like to know that that 12 correlates to you having to replace five less okay. employees. And, and we hope that we can get our customers to do that. So back to fundraising for a minute. So the fundraising, is all three co-founders going to be involved or is this mainly with the CEO doing it? Or Well, I mean, we're a team. Okay. So right now our, our main, main funding presenter is Jeff. Okay. And he's the one you who won. Research, like, yeah. like you ought to have like a list of like, I'll say, I'll make this number like 100 investors going to go. Obviously, you don't want to go reach out to an investor who invests in consumer at a you know, yeah, no. B round. Like you ought to have that, have that locked in already, so to speak. Yeah, I know. Jeff's done a tremendous job of looking at who are the people that we'd be interested in mm-hmm. investing us. But we also know that when we have customers, the list will change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. people will be like, oh, you, you actually found product market fit. Mm-hmm. You're actually going somewhere. You're making money. You know, it just changes the list. Yeah. And so we're going to look at that list fresh once we make it through this next few months. And as a plan to go like do like a pre-seed, strictly angel investors, y'all going to VC first or any idea? We skipped the, uh, we went to VCs. We got their feedback. Um, that's the people who taught us that what we're doing has never been done before. Okay. Because they kept saying, oh, you're a survey company. And we we're like, no, we're not. Yeah, like where, right? do you, where do you get that from? Yeah, where do you get that from? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Daily Pulse or Tiny Pulse or all yeah, these other companies, yeah, right? Tiny Pulse, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, no, no, that, that's not the same at all. You're asking those people to fill out a survey every day. We're just saying speak whenever you want to. Like, it's, it's, that's A and B, right? So we realized that we needed to prove it, mm-hmm. that we had to bootstrap it and get it to a certain point. We, that's part of you going to Founders Live, doing mm-hmm. like. Yep, that was how we people. learned that. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's great. We won, you know, that month and I'm really happy, but I also learned what I needed to learn. And so we're going to get those customers. I mean, at the end of the day, we're committed, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what's, how do you, I think I asked you before, but like, you're talking about your own personal development as a business marketer. Is there anything else you try to get personal development? Do you like try to learn a code, try to get better sales, try to get better operations? How do you increase your, your, your warehouse, so to speak. Well, if I believe in dialogue and if I believe in continuous dialogue, then I don't only care about marketing. I care about customer success and I care about product. 
And I think those three things in the industry right now are at a convergence point or an inflection point. An inflection point is a better way to put it, not a convergence point. Um, marketing traditionally has been the 1950s mad men. Yeah. You know, uh, customer success is fairly new on the scene because customer support was the whole, can we get them to call us less? Right. <laughs> and customer success is, can we get them to use the product? Right. But it's still, can we get them to call mm -hmm. us less? Right. And if I believe in my product, I want my customers to talk to me as often as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, instead of customer success being, can we get the amount of time they talk to us to a minimum? We're like, how often can we get them to talk to us? Yeah. That's money in the bank. That's our algorithm getting smarter. So I believe that product marketing, which is audience marketing, right? So sustained engagement, not yelling as loud as I can. I believe that there's some kind of synergy across those. And I'm really fascinated to see what that synergy is. How can the engineering team rely on us as a reliable voice of the customer? Well, we got to get the customer to talk more. We got to get the customer comfortable with our events. We got to get the, you know, and how do we reach new segments and how do we bring new people into the conversation? I'm fascinated by that. I mean, it's, I think it's what we've been trying to figure out for the last 20, 30 years in terms of marketing, because we know that the modern digital marketplace is full of noise. The only way you cut through the noise is to have a meaningful dialogue or, or a great idea. Is yeah. there a difference between marketing and product marketing? Are they basically the same thing? It was part of marketing, like totally different. You know, I'd be interested in other people's opinion on that. I mean, I don't, I don't have a strong enough opinion that I'm going to jump on that. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, I think of marketing as getting the message out. So if you're a if you're selling a politician, they're your product, right? But product marketing is a little different in the sense that there's a life cycle of the product. When is the new release? How do you build up to that? And how do you, you know, how do you get the cycle of its evo evolution uh, built up? I don't, I don't really know that I see the difference between them, but I know that I'd like to learn it. In front of you, what makes someone a bad marketer? Following the old path. Just saying, okay, I need a segment. I need my personas. I have my personas. Now I'm going to reach the right market and I'm going to make a, a media buy in that space. I know that that's good marketing from the textbooks. I know that that's how that works, but that's not dialogue. Dialogue changes traditional marketing. And uh, I'm interested in the people who are finding their own way to push that envelope. I don't think we've got the answer yet, but that's what I think of as the difference between a good marketer and a bad marketer. What's your take on paid ads, like on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn? Is it a waste of money, good investment of money? What's your take on that? Well, if you're just trying to be heard, it's a waste of your money, in my opinion. If you trying to drive people to a meaningful dialogue that you already have operating and it's healthy. Terrific. Mm -hmm. You're going to reach the right people. You can target better. You can find the right people in the right way. It's amazing technology, but your destination has to matter. Okay. Right. Um, I mean, it works really good for physical products. Like I noticed that if I try to shop for something for my wife on Amazon and you know, for the next three days, I'm just seeing like that product no matter where I go on the internet, right? Um, that, that's, not, that's not helpful, right? You know, that's not good marketing, <laughs> you know? 
Um, what kills me? Like you buy a product and then you get asked for the product. Like, dude, I already bought your freaking product. Yeah, why, why uh, are you marketing why, to me again? Like, yeah, yeah. I already bought your barbecue grill. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to buy a second barbecue grill. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, there's a lot of intelligence that get that is yet to be added to mm. advertising platforms, but it has a nat- it's the nature of the beast, mm. right? They have to sell bandwidth. They have to, I mean, that's what they're selling. They're selling the ability to reach the right customer. And there isn't a lot of sophistication yet in terms of why is that customer the right customer? If someone came to you and said, hey, I'm about to, I want to do pay ads. Like, can you recommend so I do on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter? If you're B2B, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. If you're B2B. Okay. Just that simple. Uh, I'm B2B, so I'm LinkedIn. LinkedIn, okay. I don't even have a Facebook presence. Yeah. I don't need it. I don't even need Twitter. I need LinkedIn. Okay. Because I'm B2B. But uh, I'm consumer. Ah, forget LinkedIn. <laughs> forget about it. You got to go straight to the LinkedIn. I mean, to the Facebook and those people. You yeah. Know, okay. Or the TikToks. And, you know, you got to be on the cutting edge. Yeah. You got to be where the teenagers are. Exactly right. So, which is why I'm not consumer first. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do want to be there someday. Yeah. I mean, this product would be amazing in the hands of teenagers. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So think what else. Um, so we talk about the name of your company, talk about the values and mission, talk about the red flags. You talk about, we talk about your co-founder dynamics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Three is the right number. Three. Three is the right number. So, so you're saying eight co-founders is not the right answer? Mm-hmm. Eight is not the right answer. <laughs> two, I don't know. I mean, those, the two, they, they seem to have a lot of representation at uh-huh. the top, but I like the three. I like three. the three. Your balance. Yeah. Here's a good question. So, like, how does this work? Like, so there's three co-founders, right? And I'll make it simple, right? Mm-hmm. Like, suppose, and of course, they say never give everyone the same amount of equity, right? Mm-hmm. Suppose all three get 33% and whatever the percentage, right? Mm-hmm. And then y'all get you know, 33% for each co-founder. And then you get a pre-save round, have to give 20% of the company. Mm-hmm. So down you get diluted and diluted, diluted. Right. What's the point where, like, man, I only have 4% of the company left. What am I doing here, right? No, you don't worry about that. Okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you start with and what you end with after the dilution. What matters is, is that you grew and that you grew in a way that you had control over still. Um, what matters is, is that the, the founders have enough, have figured out how they resolve major differences mm-hmm. because otherwise you end up in the, uh, the Steve Wozniak category, yeah. right? Or the, or the uh, Paul Allen, mm-hmm. right? And n- mad respect to those guys, but they got forced out. Yeah. Right. Because the disagreements were too, too great and they had to move on and that might happen. But if you have a clear way to resolve it, it's not acrimonious. Like, okay, yeah, we'll just solve it. Yeah. Right. The truth is, is that when you do a startup, you're lucky to be bringing something to the world in our case, that's never been done before. So you're introducing a concept and you have the potential to make a lot of money on it, but you're introducing a concept. You're figuring out, how to bring something new to life. That's amazing in and of itself. So y'all don't have funding yet. When you have, how do you convince people to come in and work for y'all basically for free, right? Because people don't realize how hard that is, right? And, yeah. and not only that, how do you convince them to work for free, so to speak, and then convince them, like, how do you explain equity to them, right? Well, right now, we don't hire a lot of people for that exact yeah. reason. The three founders, we've made our commitment. And then we pay other people what, you know, their market rate. Okay. We don't have the money to hire somebody. We don't hire somebody. Okay. That's why we bootstrap until we have customers. 
soon as we have customers, we fundraise. Mm-hmm. Fundraising is about going fast because you can deficit spend. Yeah. Deficit spending is about going fast. Mm-hmm. But bootstrapping is about not spending money you don't have. Okay. That's, that's the difference between the two. So as founders, we just look at it as how much money do I have to put into this company? Can I afford to spe- pay those bills? And what's it going to take to get to a meaningful MVP that's going to delight our beta customers? And that's what we're focused on right now. And that allows us the freedom to find the customers that find the customer fit. I mean, it keeps us nimble. We haven't taken on a whole bunch of investment. Mm -hmm. Now, if we had found investment, yeah, we would have gone faster, but it's okay. It's a good way to go. All right. Change the subject. Talk about anime. Yeah, sure. Why why do you like anime so much? Like how did that get started? What what is that? I think it's fascinating. I mean, here's a culture that came out of world war two and, and, uh, and, and anime was born in the shadow of World War II. You know, we talked a lot about the 50s, you know, mindset and all that kind of stuff. And Japan is just amazing in that way. They just, they invented this art form, anime. I didn't, they didn't invent it, but I mean, you know, they, they came up with their version of it. And there were all these mandates that they had to deal with. Like, for instance, anime was supposed to cheer up the populace. It was supposed to be positive. It was supposed to be like a delight to you. And what came out of it was, this amazing micro, I mean, do you have any idea how many animes are released every season? I don't have no clue. I have no idea. <laughs> it's like 20, 30, 40 animes every season come out on TV in, in Japan. And then, you know, we get it later in the U S you know, as it comes, you know, we get the dribs and drabs, but that's a lot of content. That means that there are people who are just churning out the plots and, I'm always fascinated whenever any art form creates a lot of like, okay. Some people say that the eighties were the best time for heavy, heavy metal and rock. Okay. Why is that? Because the most number of teenagers were picking up electric guitars and trying to figure (laughs) out how to play them. There was never more teenagers picking up electric guitars than in the eighties, seventies, eighties, right? Well, anime has been doing that, but for decades. Okay. Like not just one decade, but multiple decades. I find that fascinating. Also, there's just some really good animes out there, but your audience, I wouldn't want to send them off into the dark corners mm-hmm. of, you know, anime land. Cause there's some weird stuff in there. You don't want to get lost yeah. in it, but there's some really cool stuff. So do you know a football player named Jamal Williams? I've, I've never heard his name. Yeah. yeah. So he played for Green Bay Packs Detroit. He's played Donuts, right? Mm-hmm. Super duper anime fan, right? Yep. Yep. Like he's like all in, right? He saw all in, like he just got traded to New Orleans Saints. And he, he put he put on us like social media, like, if you want me to sign anything, you have to prove to me your anime fan, right? <laughs> and so you just Google Jamal Williams anime, you're like, you had like these kids like Pokemon, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like different things, right? Yep. Like he'll, each day before practice he'll say, I'll sign if you if you give me this right. So each day people like bring him anime stuff, different things, sounds the autograph, you know, like yeah, it's like so cool, right? Yep. He like, people, what do you do? I watch the anime. I mean, I consume a lot of it for mm. a founder. Mm. I mean, you know, founders are usually notoriously, mm. they don't have any free time, but I still manage to consume a fair amount of anime, you know, in a month. Yeah. And, and it's because it's so relaxing. It really is. It's like meditation. Mm-hmm. The anime, because of the culture and the way it was formed and everything. Yeah. It's self-serving and mm. it's, you know, there's always something new and interesting yeah. going on in an anime, even though it's very formulaic, Right. 
So yeah. So one time he did. He, he asked me to Japan for a vacation, right? Because mm-hmm. it's my dream vacation. Yeah. And a film crew father was so fun. Like him, like interacting with different Japanese people, anime. Like mm-hmm. one thing, like I'm running through the Japanese crowd, like I'm running back in the, in the game, right? It was just so hilarious, right? I love it. I'd love to meet him someday. It would be cool to have that conversation, even in the Six Hundred One Club. Mm-hmm. And one time we were on a, a call, and um, people were like, "Oh, we're going to do breakout rooms now." Does anybody have any topics for breakout rooms? And I said, I'm going to do a breakout room on anime. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting everybody to laugh at me, you know? And people were like, yeah, I'll join that. And like, <laughs> yeah. We were at the most popular room. Like people yeah. were like, well, what do you watch? And people don't know? realize how like anime is like taking over. Like, I know some of you feel like this anime, anime, anime. Well, you know, everybody finds something different. Like that's the other thing about anime is that it has different flavors, mm-hmm. right? Like I love anime that's about sci-fi. Mm-hmm. That's about the future. That's about, um, culture mm. you know i mean that's what i that's my bread and butter mm. right but there's a trend right now in anime called isekai have you heard of this no i say right now but of course it's been on going on for multiple years but isekai is uh, a relatively relatively new form of anime mm. where your main character basically is transformed to another world uh, transported to another world mm. usually they die in our mm. world and they're born like reincarnated mm. into a body mm in another world, but there's lots of different ways to do it. All that matters is that you're a fish out of water. You were in this world, our world, the world that you and I are in right now. And then suddenly you're in a fantasy world or whatever. And you're always way overpowered. Like whatever it is, your magic spells, whatever it is, just basically you have no real problems. Like you're, you're Superman. So it's the Superman fantasy, but with a different world, nobody knows you, you get a fresh start, you know? Um, it's huge. Like there are so many animes that are about this. And I was like, Oh, I got to check this out. Why, why are there so many? You know why? Why? Cause it's relaxing. Okay. Because all your problems are solved. I mean, so like all these, like, like, um, what are looking for like tunnels you can go down rabbit holes and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. It's like, no matter where the character goes, they're going to solve their problems in a way where everybody around them goes, Oh my gosh, you're so powerful. Right. Like, and if you're watching that, it kind of lulls you into this sense of like, yeah, yeah, everything's okay. Yeah. So, so what happens three years from now, the number one anime company in Japan calls you, we want to use Koala for, for anime company. Oh, I'm right on that. I've written, I, you know, my Hollywood background. Are you kidding? I've got writers. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I've, I think about that stuff all the time. As a matter of fact, I think Koala and Japan belong together mm-hmm. because Definitely. Japan culture you don't say things to disrupt the status mm-hmm. quo, but if you could say it anonymously, yeah, man, that's, that's huge. So yeah, I can't wait to get to Japan really. So you already talked about your company. Some, can you go, can you go more detail? Like how it got started? What you focus on now with a big vision for it is going forward. Yeah, sure. I mean, Koala starting out as retention for corporate clients, but, um, Japan, let's use Japan as the example. Japan right now has a huge problem with the birth rate, right? They had, are not having enough babies and it's a cultural phenomenon. How do you change a culture, right? Whether it's a corporation or an entire country, culture change is really, really hard. Um, what is that saying? Culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Koala is all about culture. Yeah, we can't force a change on culture. Culture is too strong for that, but we can accelerate it. We can help culture get to where it was going to go faster. So if Japan is interested in solving its, 
you know, birth rate problem, they'll get there faster with a tool like Koala, right? If a company is interested in solving its declining sales portfolio, they'll get there faster with a tool like Koala. And that's all you can really do with culture. With culture, you can help it be self-aware and accelerate. And the rest is up to leadership. And what's the big-term version vision for the company? Oh, well, the big-term version, the, the big vision is that we're not a company, we're a utility. It's no different than electricity. Do you know that in the early days of electricity, companies had chief electricity officers? Did not know that. Yeah. Not know that. Yeah. In the early days of telephone, same thing. In the early days of radio, same thing. Every medium has always had a big impact on the way companies think about themselves and how they define the roles in their company. And then the, pro and then the technology matures and it's taken for granted. It's a utility. I think that what Koala is headed towards is a utility. We are necessary for societies to be able to be self-aware and negotiate with the few. We're not there yet, but that's our vision. That's what we're going to get to. Is there anything else that I asked you that I haven't or anything else you want to talk about? No, no, this has been a good conversation and good scotch. I, yes, I appreciate yes. it. Um, can you give people your social media so people can reach out to you? Yeah, we're on LinkedIn. Big surprise. At Koala. Uh, I'm Michael Alcock at LinkedIn. I'm the guy with, I'm the Michael Alcock with a blue background in his photo. Because um, there's a few other Michael Alcocks, which surprised the heck out of me. Um, and like I said, we have this meeting on Thursday. So if anybody takes an action now to get on the invite list, we'll be happy to have them. Uh, for, this is the first of the Koala conversations on Thursday. It's going to be a very simple format. We have people come in, maybe 10 to 20 people. I'm going to interview somebody who is outside of Koala but has an interest in the overall concept of the many talking to the few. And how do people join this conversation? I think I can send out to people or as soon as you, after this event, uh, when you do your post and everything at the same time, jury is going to be posting on LinkedIn. Okay. The way to, to get an invite to this. Okay. But we're not going to just post the link publicly. You got to message us. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You obviously don't need 10,000 people. Yeah. Well, and we just don't need bots. Yeah. We don't want bots. Real people only. So. How about anime bots? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, do you watch any anime? No. 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 Okay, well, let's see. If you watched anime, you got to watch Cowboy Bebop. Okay. For you. That one's going to work. Um, anything by Miyazaki. That's a hard name to remember, mm -hmm. isn't it? Miyazaki. Yeah, you're probably not going to remember no. that. Um, that's like the starter kit. Okay. Miyazaki, Cowboy Bebop. And then we figure out what you're actually interested in. All right. And we take you from there. And do you personally have a favorite? I mean, not, not professionally, but maybe more personally, like you have a, so, a favorite social media you like to like check out or use whatever. Well, I used to love Reddit until they drove out all of their uh, third party apps. No, I never got into Reddit for some reason. I tried oh, to, I loved I, it. I, I read a couple of times. I, I never got into it. I never got to get credit. I never got to Reddit. I record once in a blue moon. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I used to love Reddit so much because I had a culture. Mm -hmm. It had a known culture. It was a known quantity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was trite sometimes, and it was mostly white men, mm -hmm. but uh, and white men who are engineers. Mm -hmm. But um, but I could rely on it for being a consistent source of dialogue. I yeah. mean, that's very rare on the internet these days. Real dialogue. I mean, we've done a ton of analyses in my career. Ton. We've looked at huge amounts of data. And when you try to define a conversation where somebody might change their mind mm. about something, 
It's very, very rare. Yeah. It's very rare. Usually it's a flame war. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, I love anything that has real dialogue in it. Okay. I mean, if you, if you find something, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> but so, it's not TikTok. Yeah. And so it's not, it's not Facebook. Yeah. So it's Reddit. So Reddit core kind of sort of the same. Is there anything else out there? Like around those, those time, like, nope. like, or like, nope. Reddit core, right? It's kind of a desert right now. Okay. In fact, I have deleted all my accounts everywhere. Yeah. Like you can't find me except on LinkedIn. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Usually I do more research. I, I Google mm-hmm. someone's name. Like yeah. Nothing nope. came up for you. Nope. Nope. Actually, it's like so some famous author with the same name. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That, it's funny. Michael Alcock comes up in weird ways. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, uh, the, the I have pretty much removed myself as best I can. Mm-hmm. I mean, the truth is, is that I was so gung ho for the first half of my career that everybody has my data already. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, I was just everywhere, but now I'm nowhere yeah. because I'm just, uh, I need to, we need to do better. It's not, none of the sec, none of the technologies that are out there are bad mm-hmm. in and of themselves. It's just, we haven't figured out the right interaction to make yeah. it productive. That's all. Yeah, definitely. So Michael, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And so listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you. And remember to be great every day.